We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast is sponsored by Liquid Death. Are you thirsty? Parched? Do you like dark and eerie sinister names for your beverages? Then you'll love Liquid Death. Go to liquiddeath.com. Use the promo code BIGBLUE for a refreshing beverage ahead of Halloween Blue Wire. Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always my co-host, Nick Pilato. And tonight we're coming to you Monday late night after grinding some film. I got to say, Nick, I'm in a pretty damn good mood, and I'll tell you why. I've now watched, let's break it into 14 halves, right? Seven halves of Giants football, seven halves of Giants, or I'm sorry, Giants offense seven on film, seven halves of Giants defense on film. They've had seven games. That's 14 total. I would say that this offensive tape was by far and away the most fun I've had watching the Giants this season. If you broke it up like that into 14s and you picked the best of the 14, this one is it for me by far. We'll talk about a little bit more as we go through Daniel Jones in complete command of the offense, more so than any of these other games. And that says a lot, given the command he was in against the Packers and the Ravens. Honestly, the times the Giants did get stopped in this game offensively, you look at the tape and you say, and we'll go through it and you say, well, they could have got a first down on this drive, you know, both multiple times. And there weren't too many times where they got stopped, but on those times, they could have easily got a first down. They got penalties to back them up and then still almost got out of it. And so it's going to be really fun to watch this film tonight, Nick. I'm really excited for it. But I do have something this week. We don't have to have it every week, but I do have something this week I learned from watching the tape. Um, and I wanted to go over that first to kick this bad boy up. But before we do that, I wanted to know, did you have as much fun watching this Giants offense completely control the ball in full command? And where would you rank this watching just this? You know, if we broke it up to 14s, the Giants offense against the Jaguars week seven. Where would you rank that as far as just pure fun watching the Giants so far this year? So this season, Dan, I always yeah, have fun watching the Giants because yeah, it has been horrendous over the last several years, essentially since you and I formed this tandem together. This team has just been terrible. But it, I would say it's up there. I'm not sure if it's 100% my number one. It, it might be, though. I feel like there was a lot of unique yet simple play calls from Mike Kafka. And specifically, I'm talking about that final drive that we'll go over here in a little bit where they ran the same play call and play design eight times on an eight-play drive with a couple adjustments based on the play. Like just a bunch of power runs with an extra offensive lineman just running the football directly at the Jacksonville Jags and saying, you can't stop us. And then 
They stop him one time for a two-yard gain, and what do they do? They naked bootleg Daniel Jones like they did against the Chicago Bears for two touchdowns. And I did a little breakdown on Twitter about that, and I knew they went to the well several times when I when I watched the broadcast. And I was like, oh, man, they just keep running the same play. But I didn't realize it was on every single one of those plays. And I just think that is something that is completely unprecedented, basically, <laughs> yeah. in modern NFL. Yeah, it really is. And it's not even – it was amazing to watch that happen, right? It's amazing when you watch it back. You see the offensive line completely wearing down a defense. You see the Giants, you know, doing things that you don't see from NFL teams. Dan Orlovsky did a breakdown of it today. But I think in addition to that, throughout the game, we saw a lot of interesting moments where uh, eye candy became a big factor in why the Giants are able to move the football. We'll see it as we break it down. We'll flip to that end zone angle on a, on a bunch of these that I have written in my notes and earmarked, Nick. But there were a lot of times where the Giants, where the Jaguars defenders were really focused on Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley. And in all, on, on those times, they got caught a lot of these times. And sometimes they were too focused on Barkley, sometimes too focused on Jones, sometimes too focused on both. And that split second reaction that they wasted gave them a chance to make a big play with Wando Robinson or make a big play with Matt Breida on those end around type plays. And in a lot of ways, I thought what I learned on film was this was probably, and I know, you know, give Dan Quinn credit. He's an aggressive coordinator and he calls an interesting defense, but watching this Jaguars defense, probably the closest thing I thought I saw to what Wink Martindale tries to do defensively from a schematic standpoint. And they were insanely aggressive with their second level defenders, the Jaguars and the giants made them pay. Mike Kafka simply made them pay for being so aggressive as they were. And it's not just Mike Kafka. That's the exciting part for me, man. Daniel Jones made them pay. He had to make really quick processing decisions and he did make those quick processing decisions. And part of it is a game plan as well. I mean, look, the coaching, the coaches are in sync with the player here when it comes to Daniel Jones and his coaches, which is a great thing. That's what you want, right? It doesn't have to be all one or the other. It's great when they're working together. And those Jaguars, the second level guys, man, they were shooting gaps. They were super aggressive. And the Giants made them pay over and over and over again. Even something as simple as, you know, some of those RPO shots that they hit to Slayton when Daniel Jones read that those, those overhang defenders weren't going to be in, the, in those vacated zones. And so there were a lot of examples you'll see in the passing game where the Giants took advantage of this. Some examples you'll see in the zone read game where the Giants took advantage of this. And to me, it was just truly exciting to watch a defense try in some ways, not the same, but to mimic what the Wink Martindale does schematically from an aggressive standpoint and just Mike Kafka and Daniel Jones made him pay, made them pay over and over again. They wanted to stop the run. So what did Mike Kafka do on the first drive? The only first drive of the New York Giants season that ended in a touchdown. He ran the football one time and resulted in a negative four yard loss. And he just kept throwing the RPO, calling the RPO and putting the football in Daniel Jones's hands to make a decisive decision. And you got to give credit to Daniel Jones, man. He has been pretty damn excellent when he is faced with that type of decision making and even in other parts of his decision making throughout this season. There are a couple plays where he's reading defenders. He's going through multiple progressions and he is finding guys open over the middle of the field. So we're going right. to go through all of that. But I felt like Mike Kafka set a tone early where it was like, all right, you want to stop the run? You want to load the box? Cool. Well, where we have Daniel Jones and we trust Daniel Jones and we have guys like Wandale Robinson who are going to throw the football to Darius Slayton who are going to throw the football to and we're going to take advantage of you and move the football down the field without Saquon Barkley. And I think that's one of the most exciting parts about Daniel Jones this season in these last three games specifically. It's the speed at which he's moving through these progressions right now. It's the speed you watch it. If you see it from that end zone angle, which we'll show you guys, you'll notice just how fast his head's moving and just what he's noticing and what he's recognizing post snap. And there's plenty. So you'll see post snap. 
he immediately he immediately diagnoses multiple things on each play that give him an give him an idea of where these second level defenders are going to be and where these safeties are going to be and that allows him to get to the right decision and deliver the ball on time accurately with good ball placement like he has been doing all season and would drive he drives the football really well in a lot of spots in this game but what i noticed nick in addition to that and we'll go over it you can see it a lot when you only really when you watch the end zone angle sometimes when you watch the sideline is he's making a lot of pre-snap decisions and pre-snap checks and audibles and he's recognizing a lot of things pre-snap there was one occasion where he shifted the offensive line pre-snap and he did a great job with that there's another occasion where he changed the run call pre-snap and it got them into a better spot for in, in the red zone for a run play which Barkley uh, made a really nice individual play on stake for nine yards but he, he's doing a much better job pre-snap multiple alerts which we started to see in recent weeks really starting with the last few weeks where he you know gives these receivers alert and figures out a spot that he's going to be able to really deliver the football where gives the opportunity for the Giants to move the ball. So I think Daniel Jones is progressing from a processing standpoint at a really excellent and exciting, to be completely honest, pace right now. It's not a player or prospect that me and you were really excited going about going into the season. I think he's changing our minds. Now, obviously, one thing we've said, Nick, and we want to see it is consistency. When it comes to Daniel Jones, we want to see this continue. And so far, it's been, in my mind, three really, really good games. From Daniel Jones. I would say the last three stand out above the rest. Now, I still think, again, his game against Dallas was really good. I think he's taken it to another level, though, against the Packers, Ravens, and as we'll see today, against the Jaguars. So I'm excited to get into this. Before we roll into this, I want to talk about a few things on the injury front, Nick. Any surprises today? We hear the Daniel Bellinger situation is surgery is happening. It's multiple fractures. From the way that Brian Dable described it, Dabes kind of made it feel like they're hoping to get him back for the season, but not expecting to. I think there's a chance he might be out for the year. Who knows beyond that? I just don't know with this kind of injury. There's not really a precedent for it. And what an unlucky freak injury for the Giants, by the way, man. Like, that's just so un ridiculously freak injury unlock, uh, you know, bad luck there. But whatever, they're going to have to adjust from that. And they, they might even have to look to the waiver wire at this point at tight end, like Bellinger and Myrick, really. I, that's what I'm looking for, another guy who can really be that blocking type tight end. Um, so we'll see what happens there. Devin Neal, it's supposed to be four weeks we're expecting. Um, right now, that probably puts him on track to return for that Thanksgiving game against the Dallas Cowboys. So Tyree Phillips, next man up. And we'll talk about him. He had some really interesting, really good reps in this game. Um, and maybe, maybe, just maybe Matt Parr can work his way into the mix. Crazier things have happened, man. A lot of these offensive linemen, Ben Bredesen, you know, to some extent, you can say, um, you know, you can't really say any others. It's really just Ben Bredesen. I've really flourished under this new regime and Bobby Johnson after not really flourishing with the last regime. Now, Bredesen was injured, so I kind of say that hesitantly. But I've seen crazier things happen than something like Matt Parrott flourishing under a new coaching staff. So keep him in mind for sure. And on the Bredesen front, we didn't get much. It's week to week. Again, he was ruled out immediately, so I would assume that that's going to be a multi-week absence from Bredesen, which is a shame as well. There were some really good moments for Azudu in my mind on the tape, but there are also some really bad moments, specifically yeah. in specifically in pass protection with Azudu. And I worry, Nick, that a lot of this progress they made in the past game, I'm so worried about will these injuries, uh, you know, will having to play Bre um, Azudu and Phillips really change what they want to do offensively from a passing game standpoint because they're really starting to click in the passing game so well. And so it, it does kind of, I, I hope it doesn't happen, but you'll see the moments when we go over the film in a moment here, Nick, where, you know, and, and I'm not, not Nick, I mean the, the listeners where there are some bad moments with Azuda where the Giants might not want to put Daniel Jones in that position. Um, and, and Phillips, not so much, but 
really for Phillips, the only ones I really truly noticed were when he was just not really fully aware of the play call. There's a couple, there was one play where he's just blocking, he's just standing kind of out in space, no one around him. And it's just like, all right, well, you know, you'll see that. And there were a couple plays pre-snap, I thought, Nick, where, or at least I noticed Nick, where Azuda was kind of like looking around, he's pointing, and he doesn't know where to be, and then he misses one completely, and there's like a free rusher. So that type of stuff is going to happen when you start to replace offensive linemen with backups and the chemistry is gone. You know, they're not blocking together. There's no actual live game rep. The drop by Marcus Johnson on the fourth down, Azudu should have took that assignment. It looked like at least judging by the front that the defense went out there and he overlooked it and the guy just went right in on Daniel Jones. I don't even know how Jones got the football off and actually put it into an accurate catchable spot. We'll go over that play. But Dan, I wanted to bring one thing up before we get into the film. Sure. You would say the Giants, these rookies this season, have had a pretty damn huge impact, right? Every single one of them, other than Micah McFadden, I guess you could say Azudu, who did deal with an injury, has missed games with injuries. It's kind of ridiculous when you think about it. Yeah, it really is. They've lost their entire class at some point due to injuries. Neil Thibodeau, now Neil Thibodeau, um, obviously Azudu, Wandel, or no, Azudu's the only one that didn't. But didn't Azudu get a little hurt at one point? If I he, was ding- he was yeah. dinged up and he might not have dressed for one game, so you could group him in for that. But either right. way... The Giants, Wandale. I think, are going forward with Bredesen, Wandale, Cordell, Flott, obviously McKeithen, Darian Beavers. Yeah, it's 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 wild. Belton. Belton. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's actually so it's- unbelievable how injured they got with this rookie class. And it sucks, too. Now with Bellinger, obviously, we forgot to add him. That's the saddest one. It sucks, too, because they were producing, like, pretty much yeah. across the board, they were producing, too. So the injuries have been really bad. I saw something today. I think LPG, license like I posted, the Giants are, like, lost or the third or fourth most injured team this year, according to one metric. It just sucks. It's just like an Eagles were the worst or the least injured team, according to that metric. So it's just like, you never know if they, if they were just as healthy as the Eagles, how would this team look at their full strength? But you know, we'll get in. It, it is what it is with the injuries. There's nothing you can do about it, but we'll get into the tape in a second. I want to go over some interesting stats before, and just to see if you have any reaction to any of them, Nick, the first one would be, the Giants, and these are all courtesy of Jeff Kerr. CBS Sports is Jeff Kerr, who wrote a really good article today on the Giants' surprising 6-1 start and dropped in a lot of interesting stats. So check that out. There's a few others I'm not going to go over if you want to see more. Um, so they're, 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 are, this is the one that stood out the most to me. The Giants are 4-1 and one this season in games in which they've trailed in the fourth quarter. They were 3-58 and 58 <laughs> in those types of games over the past five seasons. Four of those were the Gettleman years, and the other one was the final Reese year. 3-58 and 58 versus 4-1 and one in games where they trailed in the fourth quarter. That is one of the most absurd stats I've almost ever read. Like, just the, the juxtaposed 4-1 and one versus 3-58 and 58 is, is truly insane. We, we felt it as fans and as, and as analysts. Like, we felt it during the, during the back end of the Judge error and during the Shermer error and the McAdoo error. You, could, you felt it, the back end of the McAdoo. You felt like we're always going to lose these games, right? We always kind of felt like we were going to find a way to screw it up. And the stats show we did. You know, they were 3-58. and 58. They did find ways to screw it up in the fourth quarter. But now it's the total opposite. You get the feeling of we're always going to find a way to win. And they're 4-1 and one in those games. So that one was interesting. I also wanted to say they're the first team since the 1981 Saints that do not have a 200-yard receiver through their first seven games. Their leading receiver is Reggie James. That is insane because the 1981 Saints were not a winning football team. And that was also an era where you didn't need to pass the football as much. So just a crazy stat there, the, the way that they've been able to get this thing done without receivers making plays in the passing game very often is truly remarkable. And it speaks a lot 
volumes to the coaching, Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley. Really, those three stand out to me there. And then one other one that I thought was really interesting here were, was the points allowed by the Giants. The Giants are one of two teams that have not allowed 24, point ga- 24 points in a game this season. The only other team is the Bills, who are the best team in football, pretty much. New York is sixth in the NFL in points allowed per game at 18.6, despite being 31st in interceptions with only three and allowing 5.7 yards per attempt. So they're dead last in interceptions and dead last in rush defense per attempt. And yet they have the sixth best points allowed per game. So just truly remarkable stats here that have defined the six and one start. Those are some remarkable stats. And there are some really key and critical takeaways that have kept points off the board. And you can kind of go through the games and you see how the Giants are taking the football away when when teams are driving into the red zone or going on potential game-winning drives. Happened twice against the Ravens. We saw the Travis Etienne fumble last week. And if you go through other games, there are instances where that happened. That's not completely sustainable. But I still think this Giants team is legit. I don't think this Giants team is fluky. I don't think the fact that these Giants players are, are coming up with these fumbles and these turnovers constitute a fluky type of team. I just think it constitutes team well-coached, well-prepared, and a team that really is taking advantage, like we've said all week, Dan, taking advantage of their opponent's mistakes. And that's what the Giants are. They don't beat themselves, and they take advantage of their opponent's mistakes. That's their MO. And you nailed it. And that's what Kerr's kind of assertion was as well. It's not luck. It's not, you know, (laughs) I know there was that clip that went viral last night that I even commented on where someone was like, the Giants are the luckiest team in the NFL. And it's like, Eh, I don't know. I mean, you can call the Titans game, I guess, luck because he missed a 48 yarder, but 48 is not a gimme. And there were other things in that game that didn't go the Giants way. There's been no real situations where there's been like a pure luck bounce or something. And his assertion, Kerr, was like, it's not luck. It's that they're the most disciplined and potentially best, most well-coached team in the NFL right now. And that makes a massive difference when it comes to winning and losing. What's discipline? It's not turning the ball over. What's discipline? It's not taking stupid penalties and burning stupid timeouts. Giants don't really do any of that. And as far as the coaching goes, well, we've gone over on this podcast for the last month and a half, Nick, about how much of an advantage both these coordinators are giving the Giants on a weekly basis, on a game-by-game basis with a coaching edge. So you're getting all those things, and they factor in with the best season from Daniel Jones, the best season from Saquon Barkley, two of their more important players right now, the best season from Andrew Thomas, the best season you know, from Dexter Lawrence. So it's a lot of things circling into place right now. And they have all these injuries. Like on top of it, they're not even anywhere remotely close to fully healthy. And they're still finding a way with just that next man up mentality. And so that also, of course, speaks volumes to the coaching. It's best season for so many players right now. And I remember we said that like two years ago during the 2020 season because Jabril Peppers and Blake Martinez and Leonard Williams all had their best seasons. And that was valid. But right now we're seeing something totally different because all the players you named, and you could throw Dexter Lawrence, you could throw O'Shane Zimenez, you could throw Xavier McKinney, which his career trajectory kind of aligns with that. But then you got Adoree Jackson, who honestly, after watching the defensive film, I can already give the spoiler. He's going to be my best player. He was absolutely freaking phenomenal, Dan, in that game. But a lot of players are, are being maximized by this coaching staff. And that is due to the coaching staff. That is due to the players who are in the building. And obviously the preparation that happens throughout the week. This team, I really think that they're they're staying humbled. I really think they're staying 
low to the ground, which I believe is what humble actually means. Stay low to the ground. And that's exactly what they are. They, they're staying grounded within themselves. And I think they are hearing how Coach Dable speaks at the microphone and they're taking every game seriously and they're not going to overlook opponents. And they didn't do that against yeah. Jacksonville. And they stayed in there and they were really resilient too down the stretch, but we'll, which we'll talk about tomorrow with all those penalty calls that ended up going against them. They still were able to come up with that big stop, the one yard line against Christian Kirk. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You may see your coworkers cracking open a can in your 9 a.m. stand-up meeting and think, You're drinking? It's a Tuesday afternoon, I get it, we're stuck in this meeting room, but you can't be drinking beer at work. Oh, it's most likely not beer. It's a new Mountain Spring water brand called Liquid Death. One may wonder, or even ask, why is it called Liquid Death? Well, because it will brutally murder your thirst, and their infinitely recyclable tall boy cans are helping to bring death to plastic bottles. They also donate 10% of their profits from every can sold to help kill plastic pollution. So, like a famous television character whose show shares the name of a star defensive lineman on the Giants with the last name Lawrence, this drink is killing to save. How altruistic. It tastes good. It's refreshing. Everyone should go and try it. It kind of looks like an energy drink, but it is just water. So please go get Liquid Death at your local Whole Foods Market, Target, and Stop and Shop stores or find a Liquid Death retailer near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com. Use the promo code BIGBLUE. So that's liquiddeath.com slash BIGBLUE. What's going on, Big Blue Banter listeners? Do you like to place bets and find ways to optimize your betting experience? Well, then oddstrader.com is the place for you. OddsTrader is a place to compare odds from all the major sports books. You can also compare the different sign-up codes and promotions from sports books to get the best deal. OddsTrader offers handicapping, play-by-play updates, player statistics, key game statistics, live scoring and tracking, projected game day, weather, and Bet Tracker allows you to keep records of all your games and betting activity. So if you like to place bets and you want to get the most out of that experience, go to oddstrader.com and use the promo code BLUEWIRE. That's oddstrader.com slash BLUEWIRE. OddsTrader, the number one site for all your game day bets. 
And I like Nick that the Giants are underdogs again going into this week, and that they've been five and zero as Vegas underdogs this season. And I just like think it's just some weird like mental side of things in sports where like if everyone's counting you out, you're playing your best because of it. And when you are that team that's expected to win every week, it's easier to have that like letdown game where you play down to your opponent. So I hope that they continue to get no respect the Giants, uh, despite obviously deserving it. And so we'll see what happens. But this week, once again, there are dogs. And honestly, like, I don't blame Vegas for making them dogs. Seattle's a really tough place to play, dude. And I am very nervous for this game watching Ken Walker film this week because for fantasy, I've been watching some Walker, man. And the way that they've run on the perimeter with him versus what the Giants are able to do defensively on the perimeter, it is scary stuff. Now, they're going to catch a break. Most likely, Metcalf isn't going to play. It's a huge break for the Giants. Um, but the way Geno's playing football, and the way they're, they're running the ball with those two rookie tackles playing so well. I'm very nervous about that. And, and the sad thing is, like, if the Giants caught the Seahawks just literally three weeks ago, it would be a so much better time because in the last two weeks, and the stats back this up, and I don't, I haven't watched the film of their defense. I mean, you might have seen a little bit, but I've heard this from people who do cover them and grind the film. Their defense has taken a massive jump over these last two weeks. So the stats back it up. The film backs it up, too. And so they're kind of catching them at a bad time from that standpoint because they're playing good good ball on both sides of the ball. But it's going to be a great game, and it's tough to play in Seattle. I'm excited for that. Every game's so exciting now. But let's dive into the offensive film here because there's a lot of fun stuff to uncover against the Jaguars. And we'll start with this nine-play, 75-yard touchdown run. I'm sorry, drive. As Nick alluded to earlier here, this was the first opening drive touchdown for the Giants. And we start this bad boy off with the Jaguars showing their attentions right away with just a pure seven-man box. Looks almost like an eight-man box with that end of the man. And they're just like, you know what? We're coming out. We're trying to stop the run. We're not going to let you beat us with Barkley. So Daniel Jones says, okay, here we go. I'm going to use the RPO. I'm going to rip this ball into Slayton. And you could see off on the snap that he does an excellent job reading 33 and where he goes post-snap and understanding that that window is open for Slayton. And that's a tight window, too, because 52's arm gets shot right up in the air. Daniel Jones hits Slayton right on that upfield elbow right there. Perfect pass, hits him in stride. And the Giants did this a lot this game, just RPOs. Daniel Jones is very decisive with plays like this, taking advantage of Devin Lloyd, who actually didn't really bite too hard. He tried to stay in position, knew he was the re-defender. It just wasn't enough. Yep, and he drives the football there, Jones. And then we have this first and 10 play where the Giants run play action. And this is another example of the Giants running a two-man route with extra guys in pass protection. This is something they've done a lot this season. Either, either you'll use these backs or tight ends to block and chip. Um, and they and they like running these plays, especially because they are, you know, this run first team that has the identity of you better stop Saquon Barkley. So they know they can get open these routes open. And Daniel Jones drives a nice ball here. Unfortunately, Darius Slayton drops it. Yeah, Darius Slayton drops his ball. You got to look to. The Jags have five guys on the line of scrimmage. Like you said, their intentions are there. They have three guys who are essentially in the box. One is a little bit outside of the tight end to the field side, anticipating some sort of run to the strength. Giants do play action, and there is a throwing window there. It's just Darius Slayton has to corral this football. It's been an issue throughout Darius Slayton's career. He ends up having to drop a little bit later in the game. Got to catch that. And so the Giants are set up with a second and 10 here, a little three by one set. And one thing I really like about this play, I put this one on Twitter. It's just the subtlety of this play here. I like one, Wandell Robinson's route. I think he does a really good job here. And that's Wandell Robinson working from the slot of just showing off his lateral agility and his ability to kind of seamlessly break, get in and out of his breaks here and position his body in a way that can create separation. Now, more importantly than that, for me at least, Nick, I like the throw from Daniel Jones because if you watch this play over and over now on the film, you'll see that Daniel Jones can't actually throw this ball like a traditional out. 
to, to Wanda Robinson because the cornerback playing over the other receiver there drops and or doesn't drop, I should say, and hangs in that zone. And so Daniel Jones has to throw it away from the coverage. That's what coaches teach the quarterbacks to do. Throw it away from the coverage. So Wanda Robinson uncorks, gets open, and Jones throws it away from the coverage. Robinson makes a nice catch away from his body. Makes a great catch away from his body. And if you see, you have Wandell Robinson, you have the three receiver side. Who is the closest defender to Wandell Robinson? There's no one there, right? You have right. the end man on the line of scrimmage, Trayvon Walker, dropping off to match Wandell Robinson's speed with Wandell Robinson running a stick route towards the number two defender. And Daniel Jones, this is a great throw from Daniel Jones because he, like you said, does not want to be led into that defender. And great adjustment by Wandell Robinson to set the Giants up in a third and three situation. And also look at that right there. Saquon Barkley in pass protection against Devin Lloyd, uproots him. Devin Lloyd kicks his feet in the oh. air like that. That is that is excellent to see by Saquon Barkley, man. His his game as a pass protector has progressed so well under this new regime. You could talk about his processing. You can talk about his ability to get vertical this year, his pad level that he's running with. And a lot of those things are true that Saquon Barkley has done a great job in all those areas. But the area that he's improved the most in is actually his pass protection because he took a massive jump in his pass protection. And so as you'll see here, the play that we're just going to run here, thought it was a good job by Jones. The Giants actually ran a play that they had success with here, at least earlier last game with all these mesh routes over the middle of the field. Last week, they we saw Daniel Jones wait and, and you know, operate from in the pocket and Marcus jo Johnson got open here. I thought he made an even better decision because it didn't look like anything was going to get open. And so what did he do? He decided to just break free, run and pick up the first down with his legs and some extra yardage there, too. Yeah, we went over that play, too, on the all 22, where everybody is going over the middle field. You pause it right here. Look how much traffic there is over the middle field. Daniel Jones can easily diagnose that this is man coverage. And then you also have Matt Breida. In pass protection here, watch how he takes 23 and just steers him away from the pocket, allowing Daniel Jones to step up and pick up 14 yards with his legs. And one thing, and run that back to the beginning and, and pause real quick, if you don't mind, just to the very, very beginning of that play. One thing I do want to add, though, before even saying this is it is interesting to me, Nick, that both Saquon Barkley and Matt Breed are basically having career years as pass protectors. Like, because Matt Breed didn't come into this thing known for his pass protection. We all know Saquon Barkley struggled with pass protection. But I think that says a lot about the coaching and just the, like you said, like you've always said, Nick, the buy-in of these players to, to what the coaches are preaching um, in this offense. Yeah, they have bought in so well, man. Fully. And I'm so excited about a full And then flip in. that back to the beginning of the play, because if you go to the very beginning of this play, you'll see that Daniel Jones, it's, it's, it's right at the beginning. He goes down and he tells John Feliciano something, and that changes the protection. And that was really cool to see. Daniel Jones kind of have that veteran move there of seeing something pre-snap, noticing it, getting down, crouching down, telling John Feliciano something that they changed the projection. And then after the snap, you don't have an immediate blow up. How many times have we seen in the past for the Giants with their worst offensive lines an immediate blow up right away? The ball snapped. There's a player right in the quarterback's face. And none of this happens. There's not. And, and then again, look, ultimately, there was nothing open in man coverage here. And, the, and Jones decided to run. But maybe maybe if he doesn't change that protection pre snap based on what he sees, there is an immediate blow up there. And this play never gets off. And Daniel Jones doesn't have time to go run the ball because he's sacked in the backfield or somebody pressures him right away and he throws it away. So I just thought it was cool to watch, as you're seeing on the screen right now, Daniel Jones see something free, change the protection, and then Feliciano obviously does a good job of communicating it to the rest of the line. And it probably has something to do with all the bodies on the field to the right side of the Giants right here. You have Trayvon Walker up on the line of scrimmage with Rashawn Jenkins. Possibly they could both end up coming. So 
Daniel Jones needs John Feliciano to handle 33 if 33 comes. So Mark Lewinsky can take this player right here, this four eye technique and allow Evan Neal to kick out to whoever's coming off the edge. So that's going to require Matt Breida to step in on a Luacon 23 right in front of everybody where Mark Lewinsky can take 95 and then Andrew Thomas can take 41 Josh Allen. So it's just a numbers game here, but you're right. Great recognition by Daniel Jones to set the Giants up on a third and three situation for success. And these are the little things that not a lot of people talk about, but it's a great observation by you, man. Yeah, and, and and I'm happy that he's doing this now, man, because it hasn't always been like this during his career. And so it's just great to see him be more confident in his ability to do things like change pre-snap protections and, you know, alert his receivers like you're seeing there. He runs an, he, he calls an alert here. He thought he would get something here. Unfortunately, you know, the Giants weren't able to get something, but that's OK. It ends up being, as you can see, Daniel Jones there touching his helmet and the, and the, him looking at the receivers does throw a pretty nice ball out here to Wandell, But the Jaguars actually display this one pretty good. Yeah, for those listening, it's a first and 10 play where Daniel Jones alerts to the two receiver side, which is the field side of Wando Robinson, just to run down the line of scrimmage and have Marcus Johnson set a pick. Marcus Johnson doesn't make any contact and the Jags defender kind of works right underneath. It does a really good job not being contacted by Marcus Johnson and the play ends up going for like what one yard, I believe one yard. Yep. And then we have on the second and nine situation, man coverage or two man coverage, it looks like, or no, just man coverage, a little high low they tried to get going here. This was a very risky throw, probably my least favorite of Jones the entire day. But also what you'll see, which is interesting, if you see it from the end zone angle, the Jaguars defender literally makes textbook definition helmet to helmet contact with Daniel Jones. Why does this matter to me, Nick? Because, dude helmet to helmet is like the one thing they're trying to get rid of as far as roughing the passer. It's like the clear cut, obvious one. They don't call it here. There's no penalty later in the game. Dexter Lawrence pulls the pulls Trevor Lawrence by his Jersey down. And that's a pass interference. There's just no consistency right now with this rule. I really like the little rant, the post game rant that Frank Clark had, or I think it was Clark or one of those chiefs defensive line. Maybe Chris Jones had a couple weeks. So I think it was Chris Jones actually well, where he was Jones. like, yeah, where he was like, let's, Make it reviewable, right? Let's make roughing the passer reviewable, okay? Because there are things you want to get rid of in this game, and one of them is this. You don't want helmet-to-helmet contact on any player, let alone a quarterback. But pulling a quarterback down by his jersey like Dexter Lawrence did on Trevor Lawrence, that doesn't matter. If they reviewed that, they wouldn't call it. And so there's just there's no consistency with this rule right now, and unfortunately, it's impacting the game. It's impacting the game, and it's just unnecessary, too. Like, this right here... Like that is straight helmet to helmet. That, that That is the clearest cut penalty that should have been called against number 98 of the Jacksonville Jags. And for whatever reason, it was overlooked. And I wouldn't be as mad if there weren't just such dubious calls in such high leverage situations against the Giants later right. on. But I want to also highlight on this play for those watching on the YouTube, as the old people would say, Evan Neal. So the one technique goes right into the B gap through the outside shoulder of Mark Lewinsky. And I believe Mark Lewinsky kind of ends up giving up here because he thinks a looper is coming. You could see how Mark Lewinsky's eyes go like maybe right. there's somebody coming from the middle. And then Evan Neal does a really good job here taking Josh Allen because you could see how Evan Neal steps to take 98 and then he realizes, or that's not Josh Allen, I meant Trayvon Walker. He takes Trayvon Walker here and just rides him up the arc to allow Daniel Jones to get this pass off, which is completed, even though it was a risky pass to Wandale Robinson for, I believe, like four yards. But Glowinski yep. ends up just losing around his edge because I think he might have anticipated a looper coming from somewhere just by the path of where that one technique initially went. Yep. 
Exactly right. And like you said, it does end up being a really important four-yard gain, as we'll notice in a second, because we see something really good on this third and five, again, in my opinion, from a processing standpoint from Jones, and that's him recognizing the hot route pre-snap, something that he struggled with at times in his career earlier, and something that a lot of young quarterbacks struggle with across the NFL. I see this all the time, is blitzers coming free and the quarterback not having the right hot read. In this spot, he makes the right decision pre-snap that the place to go with the ball, the hot, is actually Saquon Barkley. That's going to be the open receiver. It's not the slot, even though the blitz is coming kind of off the slot. It's Saquon Barkley here. And he understands there's no one the Jaguars have to account for him. And so gets the ball right out. And it's a tough ball to get out. Like, there's pressure right in his face. He has to catch that snap and really release that thing quick. It's one of the quicker releases you'll see from Jones, um, who's not typically the, the quickest release quarterback, but has, does a great job here just catching the snap, getting it out, understanding what the hot read is here. And Barkley, obviously, as you can see, when he does, puts that stanky leg on and, and makes that cutback that we've seen at times this season, does the rest. But this is a really good example of Daniel Jones recognizing pre-snap where to go with the football against the Blitz. Such a good juke move by Saquon Barkley there. And then that sets up a first and 10 where the Giants runs a counter run with two pullers. Counter essentially means that initially it looks like the run is going to go in one direction, but it goes in another. As you can see, Saquon Barkley steps to buy time one way, and then Daniel Jones just puts it right into his belly. Saquon Barkley doesn't really have a lot of room to, to go anywhere. kind of gets blown up. This is a play that the Giants had a lot of success running against Tennessee, but it goes nowhere. And this is the only run that the Giants executed on this first drive, which set up the second and 14 touchdown pass at Darius Slayton. Yeah, and as you'll see on this touchdown pass, Daniel Jones looks left, recognizes what he has on the right side of the field, and just throws an absolute dime ball here. Despite safety help on that side of the field, he, at this point, trusts Slayton so much to win this route, and this ball is just really, There's not really safety help, though. The, the safety, it, it goes to cover one. Right, right. The safety is actually the middle of the field there. Yeah, so pre-snap, the Jags are in a two-high look, and it's a man coverage across the board, so it looks like two man under, but the, the boundary side safety rotates downward, you know, a buzz type of situation to mitigate an inside slant from from Marcus Johnson, who is the lone receiver on that side of the three by one set with the wing, or to try to intercept any of the crossing routes from Wondell Robinson right. or Chris Myrick if he were to run that. But instead, what happens? It transitions the defense to cover one, which gives Daniel Jones and Daniel Jones. You can see it from the end zone angle. Daniel Jones confirms this post snap too. Dan, he looks at the safety. Right as he catches this ball, which he confirms cover one. I have a one-on-one -on -one matchup. Throw the football. See that right there? Yep. Daniel Jones catches the ball, and his eyes go directly to the safety. He sees the safety buzz down, knows that the other safety is going to be now a middle-of-the-field closed player and not a deep half player. So then Daniel Jones knows he has the one-on-one. -on -one. You can even see how patient he is with his eyes, man. This play is so freaking good by Daniel Jones, man, because it's a beautiful ball layered right there for Darius Slayton. But he looks at the safety, confirms the coverage. Then he looks right there. At the other safety, just for a second, see what he's doing? Okay, I know I have the one-on-one. -on -one. Hit the back foot, fire the football, touchdown. Yep, and that's so well so well broken down by you, Nick. And I think as you see it from the sideline view, too, you notice that he has a lot of trust in Slayton because if he wanted to, he could have probably thrown this ball to Marcus Johnson as well. Both Slayton and Johnson win with really strong releases off the line of scrimmage. Everyone wants to talk about how bad these Giants wide receivers are and how they don't do anything. But I got to be honest with you, when you got Marcus Johnson and Darius Slayton, yes, they have drops. They have issues within their game, and they're not really good in a lot in some areas. But as far as creating separation 
with releases off the line of scrimmage. Some of these releases that these guys have are explosive. They accelerate. Because if he wants to here, he can go to Marcus Johnson as well. And he probably has Johnson for the touchdown too. Yeah, he does, man. That's that's very well put because both of these players win. Look at Marcus Johnson. Use his hands right there to fight through the outside hand. And you can see how that cornerback, and I'm not sure. I don't think that's Tyson Campbell. It might be. But you can see how that cornerback's feet gets kind of stuck in the mud a little bit. And Marcus Johnson right here, he's already hip to hip as the cornerback is turning. You know he's going to win right there if he has any sort of breakaway speed, which Marcus Johnson does. Same with Darius Slayton. It's a little bit different of a release. You can see how Darius Slayton tempos his release. He gets it two steps, and then he drags yeah. that, drags that inside foot to set this, this cornerback up, and then he explodes right around him once that cornerback starts to commit his hips. Darius Slayton creates enough space so there's no contact, and you can see he has leverage right there. Yes, he's inside the numbers, but there's plenty of space between Darius Slayton and the sideline right now relative to where the position of this cornerback is. This cornerback is in no position at this point if you're watching on YouTube, to squeeze Darius Slayton off the red line. So Darius Slayton already won at this point, and Daniel Jones does a good job seeing that. Yeah, that's a great, I mean, you got two receivers winning off the line of scrimmage with their releases, a quarterback who diagnoses post-snap where the safe, both safeties are, and then just layers a ball perfectly over the top with great touch and ball placement, and that's an easy touchdown, you know? Darius Slayton makes it a little harder than it probably had to be by juggling the football. He's had issues with drops, obviously with concentration, just generally not the best natural catcher. But outside of that, you have two two receivers on this route winning like I said, with separation skills and a quarterback who's doing everything in his power here to make this play an easy one. And that's exactly what it ends up being an easy pitch and catch touchdown. And it is not easy to make these kinds of long touchdown plays in the NFL. Very few teams are teeing these bad boys up in the year 2022. There's just no scoring across the NFL. Generally, very few quarterbacks dropping these kind of passes. And so it's great to see the Giants get on the board with one of these longer touchdown passes. We also see Saquon Barkley. He doesn't deliver a huge hit, but he just gets in the way of the blitzing linebacker. And I thought this was a unique coverage, too. She had man coverage from both the outside cornerbacks for those listening on podcast. But Wandell Robinson has a guy directly over the top of him. Everybody's in a press alignment. That guy directly over top of him sinks to a curl flat area. Wandell Robinson runs over the middle of the field. And then the backside, not even end man on the line of scrimmage, but a backside defender who looks like he's blitzing drops off to the middle hook along with another defender to kind of occupy the middle of the field. So it's not even true man coverage, but the man coverage that was executed was on the outside where both the New York Giants wide receivers ended up kind of toasting these two corner backs yep perfectly said so the giants start this bad boy off with a touchdown drive first of the season on their first drive of the season and so we roll into this next drive now nick which will be a seven play 20 yard drive that ends in a punt now this is an example of a drive where i think the giants had a few things break against them and otherwise they could have potentially put points on this drive but there's still a few interesting things to look at here so we start with this first intense situation where they have Daniel Jones just decide to keep the ball on a PA rollout. Now, obviously this is the play where Josh Allen got called for his hold and his pull down of Wandell Robinson, but I just love the design here, Nick. There's so much going on from an eye candy standpoint here with the pre-snap motion here from the giants. And that's what really stood out the most to me about this play. Cause as it's designed with the two players in motion and Wandell coming back across play action with Barkley, you got the other receiver running the running uh, the motion behind him. Then you got Rondell running the motion in front of him. Pre-snap player on the defense side of the ball. Nick doesn't commit the penalty going to give the Giants what they want here. The two way option, right? There's one defender and he has to either decide to take Daniel Jones, who can run with the football because he's an athletic quarterback who's proven it or take Wandell Robinson. And either way, you lose because either Jones can throw on the run to Robinson for an easy completion or can run it himself. So you just love to see these kind of play calls over and over on film. You also have 
two more options too with Daniel Bellinger coming from the opposite side of the field on a deep cross and then Marcus Johnson kind of running the comeback at the sticks. Love these types of play calls, but Giants end up getting another first and 10 here where they come out with a pistol GT counter run that ends up only going for two yards. You can see how early in the game, even though they haven't ran the football a lot quite yet, Giants weren't getting a lot on the ground. A lot of the damage they did, and they did a lot of damage on the ground, ended up coming in the second half. You also see on this pistol GT counter how Devin Lloyd does a pretty good job of reading what exactly is happening. Makes a nice play on Saquon Barkley. He did not have a perfect game by any means, but you can see that that there's talent there. I just wish he would keep his hands to himself and not poke our freaking tight end in the eye. Yeah, without a doubt. And we'll look at this next play because we always try to be fair on the Big Blue Banter podcast. And so I thought this was an example a little bit more of the old school Daniel Jones, not the best post-snap processing here, locking onto a receiver here. What I thought on this play is Jones could have done a better job of of, of, of recognizing that there was the deep in here with Daniel Bellinger and it was wide open. There was a window to throw the football in, but the entire time he did want to hit this whip route with, um, with Wondell Robinson. And I don't blame him. Look, Wondell Robinson gets open on these, but this was kind of an example in my mind, at least of him predetermining that this is the rare, this is where he wanted, where he wanted to go. He read it post snap, but ultimately what he ends up missing here is kind of a wide open inbreaker there to Daniel Bellinger. I think Daniel Jones hoped that 31 would sink underneath the seven route because right. you have three receivers to the field side. One Daniel Bellinger runs just a horizontal cross. Then the number two receiver, which is Richie James, runs a seven and then the whip route underneath. I think Daniel Jones tried to throw with anticipation and anticipate 31 dropping to a depth that would remove the seven route, which would open up Wandale Robinson's whip route, but that didn't necessarily happen. He was also under duress. Daniel Jones ends up getting hit pretty badly, even though Saquon Barkley had another impressive blitz pickup right here in the B gap. Evan Neal was beat around the edge, and he ends yes. up kind of pressuring Daniel Jones and acquiring a hit there. And you're not going to see everything as a quarterback. Let's make that clear. And I just want to make it clear. But, you know, I think these are you should point out every example here. And obviously, as you can see there, there's an easy window for him to kind of pitch, make an easy pitch and catch the Daniel Bellinger for the first down. But yeah, again, it's not going to happen every single play. But that puts the Giants after an offsides here. And I think they're showing us the penalties now. So if they do show us, I want to just bring that one up only because we saw another alert pre-snap by Daniel Jones. And I was trying to kind of tally these, Nick, and, and count them here. Um, but it gets us into this third and three as you're watching here where pretty good ball placement, I thought, by Daniel Jones. I don't think this throws as easy as it appears to be. When you're rolling to your left as a right-handed quarterback, it shows pretty good arm talent in my mind to be able to drive that football while rolling left, off balance, off platform here. And that's exactly what he does to Wanda Robinson. Puts it in a perfect spot for him to then catch and turn up field. So to me, the reason I like this ball placement, even though it seems like such a simple short throws, one, rolling to his left as a right-handed quarterback, Two, not set when he throws. And then three, putting the ball in a spot that allows Wando Robinson to create extra yardage after the catch. That's exactly what happens. You also got to applaud the play design here with three receivers who are very reduced close to the line of scrimmage. I mean, two of the receivers are just outside of that hash. So everything is in the middle of the field. And what happens, David Sills is the number one receiver, the outermost receiver. He just runs directly at Wandale Robinson's cornerback. Wandale Robinson is the number two receiver. So you just release Wandale Robinson underneath David Sills. It's a rub route against man coverage is going to be successful 95% of the time. There you go. And we're, we now have a coach who will do that, who will find his plays that are successful 95% of the time, like you said. So after a Tanner Hudson penalty here, holding, it's a first and 20, and you'll see a lot of good things on this play. You'll see really good route combinations, and you'll see Daniel Jones with excellent, 
excellent. I mean, excellent pocket manipulation. This is what you want to see from a pocket manipulation standpoint when it comes to the quarterback. And he drives the ball in there on a deep dig to Marcus Johnson. Now, there was potentially, in my mind at least, the option to go to Richie James as well here. I thought if he wanted to hit that over to Richie James, there was a window coming open. It's a little bit more of a difficult throw, so I think I actually like the decision he made here to go to Marcus Johnson, though that's also a tight window throw as well. But what you're seeing here is the definition of one, a tight window throw. Two, Daniel Jones doing an excellent job maneuvering and manipulating the pocket. And three, what maybe screwed up the play is it looks like it might have got tipped on the back end. And a lot of times when a ball does get tipped that late in the play and changes trajectory of the football, it is harder for the uh, wide receiver to come down with a catch. I don't know. You'll see it from this angle, and you can kind of judge for yourself if that Jacksonville second build defender got anything on that. It's tough to say, but either way, this does hit Marcus Johnson in the numbers. A little bit behind him, not too much behind him. It's the ball that can be caught, and it's a ball that's, once again, driven really well by Daniel Jones. He drives these deep digs better than any throw he throws. That's such a good play by Daniel Jones. It is a little bit behind, and you're right. It could have been tipped, but you brought up how he might have wanted to throw to Rich James. I, I personally don't think he should have because of number 32 right here just squatting. Yep. But look at the route concepts that are used here. Because You have a double in. You have a three-by-one set. You take Daniel Bellinger, you chip, and then you run him on a drag, which is going to occupy because it's the Tampa 2 defense. Tampa 2, it's essentially just cover 2 zone, only the Mike linebacker drops to a really deep depth. So both of the in routes are going to work underneath the Mike linebacker, who is Devin Lloyd. And you can see that if you're watching on the YouTube right now. Both Richie James breaks on the horizontal cross, and then you have another in right behind him from Marcus Johnson, which is going to create windows through these middle hook zones, and especially since there's two routes that are underneath those middle hook zones. So those middle hook zones are dropping to a depth, and now they're being enticed to come closer to the line of scrimmage by Daniel Bellinger and Saquon Barkley, who are both releasing the routes. It's essentially a high-low type of situation, only over the middle right. of the field. And here, I feel like the Jacksonville Jags do a really good job not taking the bait on Daniel Bellinger and Saquon Barkley, but still Daniel Jones is able to deliver a catchable pass to his receiver, but Marcus Johnson had a rough day. Now, Marcus Johnson had a little bit of a rough day, of course, with the drops, and we'll get to one later. But, you know, look, we talk a lot, a lot of things with the quarterback, and a lot of the good traits that we want to see from a quarterback are on display on this one play. One, the ability to drive the, fall, the ball with a, a compact delivery on the deep dig. Two, pocket manipulation. And three, tight window throws. That's the definition of a tight window throw there by Daniel Jones, to throw that, even throw that deep dig. And the ball placement is good. Maybe it got a little bit tipped, man, but that's as high level. For me, that's as high level as it gets from a quarterback. He operated in a muddy pocket, manipulated it, and found a clear throwing lane. He drove the football with good velocity and ball placement, and he threw it through a tight window. That third factor to me is what really takes it to the most elite of elite levels from quarterback play. So I actually personally thought that was Daniel Jones' best play of the game, even though it went incomplete. So, <laughs> And yeah, the throw might not have been ideal placement, but I agree with you. And there's also yeah. some sort, there's just some sort of confidence in that throw because you know, he knew that those defenders would be influenced by Daniel Bellinger and Saquon Barkley. And he knew that there would be a tight window if Devin Lloyd dropped to the depth that he did in the Tampa two type of exactly. coverage, which exactly what Jacksonville ran. And they ran it a couple times in this game, but the next play was a second and 20, just a six yard screen to Saquon Barkley that I briefly showed. Let me add back the third and 14 with the New York let's, Giants. Let's do one quick thing on the second and 20 Nick from okay. the end zone angle. Uh, if I mean, we don't have to point out all the bad stuff, but it wasn't exactly the best rep from rookie Josh Azudu here, who before the snap looks like he's a little uncertain and then kind of just gets forklifted there a bit. Um, 
backwards and, and taking off his feet before they throw that screen. Um, as you'll see, he's kind of a little bit out of place and then just gets pushed back. So does a decent job, I guess, kind of holding his ground, but that's not the type of rep you want to see. And he gets pushed back into Jones there at the end. Yeah, Josh Azudu, I feel like so far through the season, Dan, he's had these these really wow type of blocks that you like put on Twitter and people yes. are like, oh my gosh, these are right. great. And, and I get excited about him too. If you go back to week one, he had the one against Tennessee where he buried the guy like with Jimmy Hoffa, like we said. And we're going to see but, at least two in this game too, by the way. Yes, yes. But they're all in the run game. They're all in the run game. And his pass protection, I feel like the anchor is something that he still struggles with, handling power. People get underneath his pads, they churn their legs, and he concedes some ground. He gets put on ice skates a little bit. And that's something that I feel like in time he can rectify with, you know, some little bit more experience, a little bit more strength. He's still just a kid. Yeah, exactly. And we'll see that. He will he will he will get better. It's just a matter of how fast because they're gonna need him to get better really fast right now. Um, you get to this third and fourteen here, where I thought it was a pretty interesting look pre-snap, a lot of pressure there. Everybody kind of on the line of scrimmage there. Uh almost like a Wink Martindale esque pre-snap look from the Jaguars there. Um and, and and we'll run the tape here on on a play that ultimately leads to a punt. And you can also see what uh, 49 is doing. Arden Key right here, who ends up tipping this ball, I believe. He's just spying Daniel Jones. So Jacksonville right. and, and these defenses are starting to respect Daniel Jones because the Giants are in an empty set with two wingbacks. And I love how they use this too, because they'll use both of these wingbacks and sometimes they're running backs to just chip and help out both of these tackles. And then they release into routes. So they end up becoming eligible receivers for Daniel Jones. And here, Jones puts another catchable ball here. And I don't want to put this too much on Richie James, even though it hits him in the chest, but the ball is tipped by Arden Key, which you'll see on the end zone copy right here. Yeah, but hey, man, even even despite it being tipped and despite, you know, being a really tough third and 14 to go situation, Jones finds a pretty good solution here. That's, you know, that's the difference right now with Daniel Jones. He's able to find these third and long solutions. And you could see there that ball does kind of get redirected a bit, but still hits the receiver and gives him a chance at it. A two-man under defense, so it's man coverage, and I like the route, too, by Richie James because he's just basically running to the sticks and then just turning out and just trying to create some sort of leverage to the outside, and he has it, too. He's open. You can even see off the release for Richie James. He initially stems inside and then releases directly up the hash, bends towards the inside like he's going to run some sort of dig or some sort of curl to the inside, but then he flows outside to create more space from the cornerback. I think this is a pretty damn good route by Richie James. You just have to be able to catch it through the adversity of the ball getting tipped by Arden Key. Yeah, exactly. So as we see, even on this drive, man, like there were opportunities for the Giants to get out of this with points. Like they they complete that pass there. Even if it's a yard short, you know they're going for it. They're probably converting it. This is the offense with so much eye candy and misdirection pre-snap that these third and short plays have become pretty easy for the Giants. And even see sometimes where they had like earlier in the season where they brought in Brightwell and they gave the ball to the up back. They just have so much creativity and well-designed and not just well-designed discipline and co well-coached plays like these players clearly are are executing at a high level all 11 on the field at that point for these you know short to go situations so i really think this is another drive they could have scored points they end up punting here um but their next drive is one before, where they before do we get into the next drive i want to make a comment because sure. we're bringing up a lot of smart route running from wando robinson and from richie mm -hmm. james we even brought it up with david sills in the past even though he doesn't really have the athletic capabilities of some of the other players on the roster I feel like the New York Giants are constructing this roster in the exact opposite manner that most people who cover football or think about football would construct it. Like, yes, you want to go out there. You want to get the most athletic, all these game breakers. But the Giants are literally just looking for guys who are smart, who know how to 
on route uh, routes against certain coverages, against all the coverages, against man coverage with outside leverage, man coverage against inside leverage. I really think there is a lot of freedom within a lot of these plays. It's definitely not as scripted. Like the choice route thing isn't just like, a, oh, I have a two-way go. Am I going to go inside or am I going to go outside? I think there's a little bit more to it. And even like the little play we just went over with Richie James, a lot of receivers might not do that, might not know to angle inside, to turn inside, and then to flow outside to create that space. It's it's very subtle and it's not the it's not rocket science or anything, but Richie James is one of these players who consistently puts himself in a position to catch the football. And I think that's something that appeals to Brian Dable. It's not just who's the biggest, who's the fastest, who's the strongest. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point. And I think you also see that kind of spill over even to the running backs who are now really good in pass production. That's not been a thing that's been the, the, the case in the past, even for players on this roster like Saquon Barkley or, you know, the tight ends who are doing an excellent job blocking. Yeah, we saw some examples of that with Caden Smith over the years, things of that nature. But now you're seeing everyone who gets on the field, really. Because, I mean, Hudson's had some plays that he probably wants back. But for the most part, every tight end on the field is operating their blocks on any given play and playing a key role. We'll see some great blocks by Myrick in this game that we're going to oh, get yeah. to on the field. Yeah, I mean, so like you said, it's just it's crazy and weird to see a team like take so well and so fast to the coaching. But that's been a big factor in why the Giants are able to win these games, because they play like a team. Now, you know, people always say that it sounds so cliche, but it's actually kind of true when you watch it. You can kind of see it. So this was a nine play 60 yard field goal drive just starts off here with his own read. We can just run through. Unfortunately, this was the play where Evan Neal did get hurt on. Yeah, you hate to see it too. And we had Ben Bredesen get hurt a little bit earlier as well. So at this point in the game, after this play that we're showing right now, two of the starting Giants offensive linemen are down on the road against an underrated Jaguar defensive front. And I think that's something that has to be acknowledged. This is just a simple zone read run where Daniel Jones ends up giving the ball to Saquon Barkley, goes for five yards in a double Y set. And as we'll see as we go forward in this game, Nick, one thing that's underrated about Daniel Jones' game, because we're about to get to a really fun play I want to break down, but one thing that's underrated about Daniel Jones' game is that he really does make the right decision on such a consistent basis on these zone reads, whether it is to pull the ball back and throw it on that on the inbreakers or to hand it to Barkley or to keep it himself. And there are very few examples where I see him not misreading, you know, the defender he needs to read, the defender in conflict and making the wrong decision. And so we'll just go over that as we'll see later. But I love this play here on second and down. This is the Wandell Robinson play. I love it for a multitude of reasons, not just Wandell Robinson's insane contact balance, creativity to spin and create another eight yards. What I really like about this play is that pre-snap, no one travels with Wandell Robinson when he goes in motion. So I know that that sends something off the Giants. But if you look at this play from the end zone angle, just watch the two penetrating Jaguars defenders, where their eyes are and who they're focused on. Because it's not Wandell Robinson. And it shouldn't be. It's Daniel Jones and it's Saquon Barkley. And just those two steps there from 95, I believe it is hard to see in this. And then um, the other the other fender penetrating through just those early steps, just that one hesitation. Right. You just don't know who it's going to go to. Now you have to break back. Now it's too late. Right. You're you're going committing all the way to Jones and Barkley on this as you should. And it's too late. By that point, Wanda Robinson has the football. And who's left to stop him at this point? Once he gets the ball, as you'll see from this end zone angle, there's really not much left. I mean, Andrew Thomas potentially is out there trying to make a block, and he he doesn't. And that defender, I think, eventually gets in on the play. But it's just so cool to watch. They have two penetrators here, the Jaguars. And there's so many examples of this on this film of the Jaguars getting upfield penetration, but just having their eyes on the wrong guy for just a second too long. And by that point, it's too late. 
And we saw in the previous play, it was a zone read to save Guam Barkley for five yards. Right. It's something yeah. Jacksonville just saw. And it also looks like Jacksonville's bringing the pressure here. It's not like they're just like, oh, they're going to run the football. So it was well-timed from that standpoint because 23, who would have ended up being the the linebacker, which was a safety, the star in the box to, to flow outside and get Wando Robinson penetrates right through a gap towards Wando Robinson. But the guy has no chance of making the play on the football here. You can see if you're watching YouTube, Wanda Robinson has the ball, and now you have three Jags defenders who are almost in the backfield, at least two that are definitely in the backfield, and Wanda Robinson has the ball. It's going to take them a split second to realize what the heck is going on, and you do this from a double Y set, Dan, to the field. Both of those tight ends just end up blocking, and they both go out and they pick up both of the contained defenders out there with Andrew Thomas kicking from the play side into space to take the safety. So Chris Myrick kind of drives the end man on the line of scrimmage outward, and then, then allows Wondell Robinson to cut back inside. The, the defender does a solid job boxing Wondell Robinson inside, but it doesn't really matter because Wondell Robinson was quick enough to get around and evade him. And this is just an excellent individual play from Wondell Robinson. And these are the types of plays that we envisioned when the Giants made this right. guy a second round yeah. pick. And not just when the Giants, but it's when they hired this coaching staff. We envisioned plays like that where there's so much eye candy, where it's Daniel Jones, and he has the ball from the zone read, and he could keep it. Or they can give it to Saquon Barkley, and now you have defenders penetrating, keeping their eyes on him. And now, up oh, it goes to, we thought it'd be Gadarius Stoney, to be honest, but up oh, now it goes to Gadarius Stoney on the end around, you know, on the jet sweep there, like they gave it to Wandale. And it's just so good to see it actually play out and see what, you know, see what we envision potentially with this type of coaching staff play out. And so, obviously, you're seeing there just a little two-yard gain on the next play there. And then we have a second and eight situation where the Giants create a 14-yard play. I really like the subtlety of this play. One thing I really liked about this play was the ball fake from Daniel Jones. And the second thing I liked was his setup and immediately his ability to kind of get that ball out in space. He understands here that his clock has to be sped up here. He does not have much time to make this throw. And I think it is designed to go back to Brita, but he does a really good job with pressure bearing down on him of taking just subtle steps in the pocket. I talk about resetting your pocket, pocket manipulation. Look at the slide here. Look at his footwork and look at him by that time to get the ball out there. There's no better way to play this from a pocket standpoint here at the quarterback position after executing a pretty nice play fake there. You need to take those two steps, buy yourself some time, get the ball out. And again, drives the ball. All these throws this season have been had a lot of drive and a lot of velocity on them. So what a 14 yard gain to Matt Breida off the play action. And you're right. This was supposed to be some, not a misdirection, but it's a play action. Get Matt Breida in the flat. Daniel Jones is going to act like he's rolling out to the field and then just set up and throw it back to Matt Breida. Nobody, nobody went after Matt Breida. And then you finally have a defensive lineman try tracking him down. You could see on YouTube, Matt Breida just jukes him out like crazy right here. And then you see Daniel Jones just take a pretty vicious hit, knock on the ground. Took a lot of big hits in this game. He takes a lot of big hits in a lot of games. Um, but it's such a good design, man. All this, this this coaching staff designed so many plays like this where there's just wide open dudes like that, like Matt Breida there. And that's a huge 14-yard gain on a second and eight here. Um, to get Well, the you got to think, too, Dan, on those plays, man, how many times this season did the Giants do a rollout and they get Daniel Jones rolling right. and you have crossing routes from that side? You had two receivers on that side initially. So that's what the Jags are thinking. Like, oh, we saw this. We studied this on film. Everyone forgets about Matt Breida. And how many right. times this season, Dan, have we seen the running back kind of go off the play action and not even run a route, just kind of end up getting forgotten about? That's something that Kafka's seen on film. He's like, oh, well, Saquon Barkley's over there just kind of chilling on the sideline, not doing anything. Why don't we make him an eligible receiver and run a play action pass to him? And it ends up springing a 14-yard game. That's the last thing I think that Jacksonville thought was going to happen there. 
Yeah, you nailed it. And it's so cool that this has been a coaching staff that's figured out a way to make 21 personnel work and like maximizing everyone on this team. Even a Matt Breida type can get maximized on this type of team here because they, they're they're willing to use all the entire everyone they've got here. And as you're seeing here, this was another example, I thought, of really, really good pocket manipulation by Daniel Jones here. He's just taken so many such a big step when it comes to pocket manipulation here. Like he rolls out here, he buys himself that time, creates that throwing window there by just sl subtly sliding, no panic in his slide here. He understands he can buy himself a little bit of time, reset, find a new throwing lane. And it looks like this should go for nothing. And look at what it gives him. It turns it into, you know, a big gain here that could have been nothing. But he does a good job of creating this in my mind on his own. And obviously it's a good move post catch here by the by Richie James. The great move by Richie James. And you can also see what Daniel Bellinger's route does crossing over the middle of the field because this is similar to the Matt Breida play where Daniel Jones is just dumping it off near the sideline to Richie James, who he went into the mesh point with at the initial stages of this play. And Richie James is just kind of chilling there with no defenders around him. But look at Daniel Bellinger's route. Daniel Bellinger's route kind of takes these middle hook and these curl flat defenders deep. Like there's three guys paying attention to Daniel Bellinger. And then the guy who's initially on Richie James ends up dropping, who is a defensive lineman anyway. So this is a really good job by Daniel Jones to keep his eyes downfield, realize Daniel Bellinger is drawing a lot of attention. So why don't I go to the flat and give it to Richie James and allow him to make a big man miss, which is exactly what he did. Yep. you love to see it. Now we have a play here. You're, you're going to love breaking this one down, Nick, a little bit of zone read, split back zone read, break this one down for us because this is an excellent play by the Giants. It's a play that we've seen. It's just a split back zone read where the Giants are going to align Saquon Barkley and Matt Breida out of the shotgun with Daniel Jones. And Daniel Jones is going to go into the mesh point with Saquon Barkley. Matt Breida is going to cut right in front of Daniel Jones and the mesh point, kind of creating a, a block, if you will, because the linebackers, if you look right here, you could see the linebackers don't know where the football is because Matt Breida is running in front of the mesh point. So this is kind of like an obstruction right here where all the linebackers don't know where the football is. And you can see how they react. 23 just goes right at the 26. You could see how the one linebacker right there ends up realizing that it is Daniel Jones. But Jones is a lead blocker right here. And you have Darius Slayton and Daniel Bellinger climbing up to the second level to locate the second level defenders. And Daniel Jones ends up springing off a really nice run here. I, I just love simple. This, is simp this isn't complex football right here. But even the simple little subtlety of Matt Breda running in front of the mesh point to create some sort of obstruction is kind of genius. If you think about it, it's not exactly. something that we've seen too much of. And Matt Breda finishes the block here really well. Plus, not to mention, as you see from that end zone angle, I'm happy he I'm, I'm okay with the way he did this Daniel Jones because he protected himself and he got out of bounds on his feet. But if he wants to here, if you roll that back a little bit, he could get vertical, plant his foot. And there is a massive hole if he wants to right there and run on the backside of, of Bellinger there. And yeah, there is a safety coming down, but so he would have had to slide and he probably ends up getting the same amount of yards, but it's just so well blocked that there's multiple rushing lanes for Jones. He could either take it outside like he did, stay on his feet, get out of bounds and create the 12 yards that he did. Or if he wanted to, there's this gaping hole. If he runs on the back of Daniel Bellinger there and he could just cut up field, get vertical and drive down and just so well blocked, so well designed. 12 yard gain, but then the Giants have this negative three-yard rush by Saquon Barkley. But, dude, I I like how creative the blocking scheme is for the Giants. It just didn't work because Rashawn Jenkins ended up blitzing. Because you have a double trap block right here from both the guards and a wham block from Daniel Bellinger. 
And what I mean by that, if you're watching on YouTube, watch Josh Azudu and Mark Lewinsky. They avoid the defender who is initially aligned over top of them, and they block the next defender to their left, who is going to be coming in unblocked because John Feliciano and Andrew Thomas both climb up to the second level to locate the weak side linebacker and the mic. And then you have the guy who's initially aligned over Mark Lewinsky get wham blocked by Daniel Bellinger. This would have been a huge run if Rashawn Jenkins didn't end up getting into the backfield on a blitz because Darius Slayton would have more than likely taken Rashawn Jenkins, and then it would have been Saquon Barkley against Tyson Campbell or whoever 37 is in space. I don't believe that's Tyson Campbell. So I, I love this play design. It just didn't work on this one specific uh, matter or this one specific play. And no matter who that is, Tyson Gamble or whoever the hell, you know that in space, Saquon Barkley will take that one-on-one anytime. So the Giants will probably run this play back, I would imagine, Nick, and try to execute it a little bit better the next time. Or hope maybe that goes up against a not blitz. So anyway, they roll into a second and 12 situation. And they have an offensive pass interference um, on that on that play. But I don't know if you'll see this one. Do you have that play up? Because I did think no, that we don't. was an Okay. I guess that for some reason I was able to watch that earlier. I don't know why. But. It was actually a really well-designed play. I'll just say one quick line on it. It was actually a really well-designed play by the Giants, and it was kind of an example of maybe one of those plays where you hope that Wando Robinson can improve because he did let the ball get into his helmet there instead of kind of using his hands to attack at the football and catch it away from his body. And there was some space set up on that little quick hitter screen to Wando if he catches that. They call best interference anyway, so I don't know. It doesn't matter, but just something to keep an eye on uh, with Wando Robinson. And then that sets up a second and 22 where the Giants go to yes. post wheel, which they run every game, but they've yet they to throw the post or the wheel. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. They've yet to throw the post or the wheel. That's amazing. It's great. It's a good concept, though, and they're going to hit big on it, it eventually. And this is just a great play by Daniel Jones because Daniel Jones reading the cover. He sees it's a Tampa 2 defense. Everybody on Jacksonville drops to an insane depth because it's a second and 22. So Daniel Jones just steps into the pocket and ends up picking up 12 yards with his legs. And he should have probably only picked up like maybe none. eight. He gets a, well, yeah, none because he does a really like good none. job. This is an incredible run. Look at this. He should be strung out there. Look at him tiptoe the sideline. Maybe, maybe like yeah, four. Exactly. But like he makes a great play avoiding Mark Lewinsky's mistake right here. Let's watch from the yes. end zone angle. Mark Lewinsky right. gets beat bad by Dewan Smoot. And that, that's a great play. But right here is where I'm really impressed. Like he should be dead cool. to rights against the cornerback. Right. But Daniel Jones is so damn athletic and he doesn't always get credit for it that he outruns a cornerback who is splitting between the numbers and the sidelines. So there's not that much space. He's able to outrun this cornerback with not that much space to the sideline for like an extra. I don't know, four yards, maybe five yards. That, that's impressive, man. Yep. Yep. You're damn right it is. Um, and so it sets the Giants up in the third and 13 here. I mean, look, I just love the design here. I know it doesn't end up going, but this is the type of play that is just just underlines exactly what makes Mike Kafka so special and Brian Dable so special from a design standpoint here because you have the defender forced to go with Saquon Barkley in motion pre-snap and he widens his angle and he has to take all watch him watch this defender follow a Barkley pre-snap and then watch Barkley after the snap that takes that defender out he has to run on the, what looks like somewhat of a wheel route but at the same time you also have Marcus Johnson run the other second level run at the other second level defender here that'll clear him out and it just leaves this wide open gaping space with no defender for Wandell Robinson it's just such an easy look maybe they come back to it later Nick on like a third and eight to ten is kind of where I'd kind of run want to run this play a little bit of fewer yards to go because you still have the ability as the Jacksonville defense for those uh defenders to rally to the football as they do here and they stop it for short of the uh, of the first down but I just love the design here to clear out that space 
Yeah, this is where Wandale suffered if it was a groin injury or he just got punched in the balls, whatever yeah. it was, it was on this way. But this is uh this is great. And I love how you brought it up and broke it down, Dan. And we've been talking about this for a couple weeks now. Mike Kafka runs a ton of concepts that are going to allow for backside receivers to come open. And it's exactly what happens here. You send Saquon Markley, Barkley as a fast two with Marcus Johnson, and that expands the linebacker, and he just takes the wheel route. Marcus Johnson runs right at the mic, and you have the initial deep third player or whatever he is who has extreme depth there. And he's going to pay attention to Saquon Barkley as well. So Wanda Robinson's just running into space, right? Dude, like again, genius. It's simple, but it's genius. And we didn't see it that much recently. So it, it, it gives us a stronger appreciation for what we're witnessing right now, even though it's just modern football. It's not like they're it's, exactly. It's modern play calling, but like, I'm just thinking laughing because I'm like on a third of 13 last year, we just see like a bunch of spacing routes like driving to the sticks. And it's like, how do you ever expect that to, to do anything? How do you ever expect that to work in any way whatsoever? And it just didn't, obviously, but well, now we're seeing well, it. Dan, also, think about like Evan Ingram last year with the New York Giants, right? We said so much, like this isn't Evan Ingram's role, but Jason Garrett was like, well, he's a tight end of my offense. He has to run it. That wasn't the best way to use Evan Ingram yeah. at all. Like how Doug Peterson was using him yeah. against us. Right. That's how you use Evan Ingram. You don't like this coaching staff right now would never do that. Attempt to ask a player to do something that's so out of his depth. Yeah. I can understand maybe if like, okay, we have injuries in game. We need to just put you in here. You need to know, do this, try not to die out there kind of thing. But mm -hmm. to do it throughout an entire season to play somebody so horrendously bad and to not maximize their skill set was something that we saw so much. And I don't want to keep harping on that last regime. I know we do, but it, it's just it's more of a testament to what we're seeing now from this regime yes. and how they do such a perfect job putting their players in position to have success. And it's okay to use it when you're using it to contrast, right? You're using, we're using it to contrast what we're seeing now. And it's so obvious if you're watching the tape now. And even if you just, like Nick said, followed Evan Ingram so far with Doug Peterson, because he's getting the most out of Evan Ingram that any, these Giants coaches couldn't figure out a way to do. And what does that tell you? So anyway, we move on to the fourth drive here. It's a long drive. The Giants were a ball control offense, baby. They burned clock. They chewed up clock. They had the ball almost this whole game. Um, this one was an 11 play, 72 yard drive that unfortunately bogged down in a field goal at the very end. Uh, we start here with just a little zone read. Barkley goes for a two yarder. Um, and then we have a really nice play here on second and eight that we're going to want to go over here because I think this play really, to me, Nick, it underlines just the massive change that I've seen when it comes to Saquon Barkley's processing speed. Him understanding this cutback lane here is just so impressive to me because it shows how much he's changed, how much has changed with his trust in not only the coaches, but his blocking. Definitely with his blocking and the front that Jacksonville has out there, it's an over type of front. Just what, what I mean by over typically means that the three technique is to the strength. This is a four eye on the inside shoulder of Andrew Thomas. Daniel Bellinger is the strong tight end on that side to the close side. And it's a zone read play. And I think just Saquon Barkley, man, he's reading and he sees the linebacker flow and kind of penetrate Josh Azudu and remove himself from the play. So right. where... Laquan Barkley is getting this handoff. There are three offensive linemen blocking three Jaguars defenders, and there's a huge cutback lane with Daniel Bellinger eliminating the end man on the line of scrimmage who kind of took himself out of the play rushing up the arc. This is excellent processing by Saquon Barkley. And then you see right there the juke that he puts on number 31 in space. I mean, that's just wildly impressive. I mean, there were like three or four jukes in this game, Dan, where, where Saquon Barkley just looks like he is just dancing around people and moving at a different speed. 
and want to get a little glimpse of what we can be in the future as a run-blocking offensive line, focus on 78 and 75, Josh Azudu. Just look at this play by both of those two, Andrew Thomas and Josh Azudu. That's what we call eliminating defenders from plays. Josh Azudu helps with Andrew Thomas, comes back onto his guy, and just totally takes 33 out, almost puts him on the ground. And look at Andrew Thomas just play through the ground too. watch. One, two, three, four, five, just driving his feet and getting 95 to, to yeah. kind of move away from the spot with his hands inside his elbows are tight like that's just good technique from Andrew Thomas right there to open up a lane for Saquon Barkley on the cutback and a little less on the technique side but more so on the just quick feet combined with power side look at Josh Azudu because that just kind of shows what he can be potentially if we Giants are able to coach him to his fullest potential when you just combine those two traits the feet how quick they can move and fire and just the pure raw power of him and that's the exciting thing about Azudu too, because you could see, you're right, the technique isn't great, but Azudu chips and helps Andrew Thomas and then sees the penetrating linebacker. And right here, if you're watching on YouTube, you could see how the linebacker is trying to use some sort of bull rush against Josh Azudu, but he gets just stood up right there. And I think Stone it's because Azudu, Azudu takes his inside arm, which initially contacts the player over Andrew Thomas at 4i, and he just shoots it. And you can't really see it right here. He just shoots it right on the inside shoulder pad of that, penetrating linebacker and it just absolutely halts that linebacker and it almost knocks him down to the ground awesome stuff there that was such a fun glimpse of what it can be running behind those two for years to come andrew thomas obviously a cornerstone piece there's no doubt in anyone's mind he'll be here for years to come azudu hopefully as well hopefully and the next play is just another zone read it only gets two yards to set up a second and eight where oh, this is one of my favorite one. plays by daniel yeah it's oh, one of my yeah. favorite plays by Daniel Jones on tape. It's the 19 yard dig route. I believe it's 19 yards dig route to David Sills. First off, I love the block by Tyree Phillips right here, how he uses a strong stab with his outside arm to just kind of split the defender and halt him while also mirroring him and staying in front of him. You can see how he transitions his weight and just keeps in front of Josh Allen through every move. That's a pretty good rep right there from Tyree Phillips. But what Daniel Jones does on this play, and I'm going to show it in the sideline first, because what you're going to have is a three by one set. The number two receiver is David Sills. He is the target. He's going to run a dig. Marcus Johnson is the number one, the outermost receiver. He is going to run run a nine route. So just a streak. And then the number three receiver is going to run a little whip route inside, outside from Wondell Robinson. And I think the processing from Daniel Jones here is, is pretty damn good. And you're going to see it more from the end zone angle. If you look right here, this is what Daniel Jones is doing. Daniel Jones is going to catch the football here and he's going to appear to see the leverage of the defender who is over the top of David Sills. Pre-snap, he does this. Look at the defender over the top of David Sills. If you're watching on YouTube, he is outside and up, meaning that he's influencing David Sills to the inside. So you have a middle of the field closed type of safety. You have the number two wide receiver with a cornerback with outside leverage. And I think that's important because Daniel Jones is going to confirm that post-snap and pre-snap. Now let's watch Daniel Jones's eyes, Dan, from the end zone angle. Daniel Jones is going to catch his football. His eyes are going to go in that direction. He's going to look at the safety to see what he's doing. He sees that the safety is gaining depth. He's not coming down. So he's not going to be an issue with this dig route. And he already knows from the pre-snap that the leverage is what it is on David Sills. And now he's going to transition to see what 33 is doing on Saquon Barkley, who is releasing into the flat on the opposite side of the field. Because in order for this dig route to work, you need both of these middle hook defenders to not be an issue, to not be an obstruction. And 33 ends up following Saquon Barkley right there. So he, he confirms post-snap, okay, 33 is going with Saquon Barkley. And now he flashes his eyes back to David Sills to see if that's still going to be open. And it is. You can also see how he peaks 
the whip route from Wandell Robinson to see what 23 is doing. So right. Daniel Jones is making several reads here, and this is happening very, very fast. And he knows from his pre-snap check that David Sills is going to win inside if that safety is not an issue and if those two underneath defenders do not get in the way. And he confirms all of that right here in like about a second and a half. And that's the thing. You that, I love what you said at the end there. It's all so fast. He confirms those things so fast. He confirms two defenders that aren't going to be in his throwing lane really fast and then drives the football. It's another one of these deep digs, intermediate, whatever you want to call them, intermediate digs, these inbreakers, where he just can really drive the ball. It's a compact ball. It's thrown with a good amount of anticipation. And more importantly, a lot of drive, a lot of velocity on this throw. And it's pinpoint, hits the receiver in the numbers, Bang, drive, boom, right on the numbers. Or yards after the catch there. It's David Sills, never expecting too much yards after the catch. You don't get them, but <laughs> I mean, it's just unfortunately reality. No offense. Not trying to knock the guy, but look, you get it. And I loved in this play specifically, Nick, how they also had Tyree Phillips and Mark Lewinsky on an island. And they held up. Like, that's a tough block for Tyree Phillips, man. He, this, you want to talk about being left on an island as a tackle? This is an island against 44, the number one pick in the draft. And he, like you said, he uses a good technique and just makes it so that guy cannot impact the play. Because this is a play that we've seen in the past where it's just been blown up in past Giants years by bad pass protections. This is only a five-man pass protection. This is one of the, the Giants don't always do this. They don't even do it that often, but this is one of the rare plays where the Giants had a lot of receivers running routes and they only had a five-man pass protection. And I hope they're going to continue to do that more. It sucks that maybe without Neil and Bredesen, they might have to tone it down a little instead of expanding it because you obviously want a passing game where you don't have to leave guys into block like Barkley and Bellinger or Chip and then release. It's just really what they mostly do. But this is a five-man protection and on an island, Terry Phillips Holds it on against the number one overall player who's been damn good this year, Trayvon Walker. And Mark Lewinsky, not as pretty looking, but does a pretty damn good job and does and holds his block long enough, again, on an island without any help uh, against an interior guy. So it's really just a perfect play here to watch for Giants fans. And Dan, it's this point of the play for those watching on YouTube that I absolutely love. You Right there, Daniel Jones is looking at Wondell Robinson and being like, Wondell, get into your whip. Do not lead 23 into the throwing window. And you can see he's confirming that 23 is stopping his momentum. And it's like right here on the play, right when 23 looks like he's going back outside that Daniel Jones is really winding up to throw this dig route. Like that is, this is a really good processing play from Daniel Jones. And I broke it down pretty extensively on Twitter. If anybody wants to go and check that out. Yep. And it's awesome to see. This is just, and you should check that out. Nick has a fun breakdown. It's like a two minute long. You can find it on Twitter with commentary as well. He broke it down here as well. So you got, you got most of the good stuff here as well, but yeah, just an awesome play, man. That was one of the best plays of the game here. Um, now this first and 10 RPO, I think we just kind of, do we, do we, do we go past that? I just wanted to say this also to me could have been a much bigger play potentially if Feliciano doesn't lose his block. Because if he can win that block, Feliciano, it does provide, again, a cutback lane opportunity for Barkley here. Um, after, obviously, Golinski does a good job of getting to the second level. But by that point, uh, you know, Feliciano just doesn't do too good of a job there. And Barkley looks like he kind of wants to go with the cutback here. But it's obviously not there. And so he kind of has to put his hand on the back of <laughs> Feliciano, who's losing his block there, and just take the two yards. Yeah, absolutely. This was an RPO too. It just ended up being the run portion of the run pass option, which sets up the second and eight short pass to Daniel Bellinger, where he ends up getting poked in the eye right there, which Oof. we can't see, unfortunately. But you can see how hard 
Devin Lloyd's hand kind of go. You watch the helmet of, oh, that sucks to see. You see the helmet of Daniel Bellinger just kind of get shocked at the point of contact. That's uh, so unfortunate for the kid. I do want to say one thing about this play, which you can see from this angle, uh, from the end zone angle or the sideline angle. I got to say, we'll get to it at the end, dude, when we do the grades, but look how freaking squeaky clean this pocket was. There was an insane number of squeaky clean pockets for the Giants in this game. And I haven't said that about a Giants offensive game film in a long time. To me, as I'll, you know, spoiler a bit now, Nick, this is going to be the highest graded pass blocking grade I have so far this season. I thought that was the best pass blocking the Giants have had. And that's crazy to say, despite losing, you know, Evan Neal and Ben Bredesen in game. But there were just so many examples of squeaky team pockets and also pretty good job here by Jones to manipulate the pocket. Right. You see, he can tell that maybe if anyone's going to lose here, it's potentially Mark Lewinsky. So that throwing lane's getting a little cruddy. It's getting a little messy. And so what does he do? A subtle slide back to his left reset, find a new throwing lane, and deliver the football to Daniel Bellinger. On the Giants' favorite play, the mesh wheel concept, (laughs) Daniel Jones threw this OTV. But you're right, man, about the pocket. Andrew Thomas and Tyree Phillips look phenomenal. Tyree Phillips is is aggressive, man. He's not as patient. You can see the patience in Andrew Thomas's hands and, and how Andrew Thomas attacks. And just watch how he puts the clamps down and just sinks, sits back on his hips. Wow. can see no ground. Like, look right here. It almost looks, and Josh Allen's a phenomenal player, and I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but it almost looks like a toddler trying to like run up against an adult and the adult's just holding him back with one hand on this specific play. And I'm not saying that that's what Josh Allen is, but on this play, does it not look like that right here? Like he's not it getting does. any push on Andrew not Thomas. Any push. No push. Any ground at all on Thomas. And it's not as pretty on the other side with Tyree Phillips. It's never going to be. We're talking about Andrew Thomas for Tyree Phillips. But Tyree Phillips is a pretty damn good job, too, against, again, a really tough player and a really tough matchup. I got to say, man, <laughs> the track record of scooping up Ravens players, it's just go for the Ravens, man. The Ravens are just one of the best draft <laughs> depth. They draft depth like no other. So, like, Tyree Phillips was not someone who probably should have hit waivers. I really feel like he was one of the most talented waiver guys they've added in the last five to six years just from a pure talent standpoint. Absolutely, man. And also, I just want to bring up this about Tyree Phillips. Trayvon Walker, the number one pick in the draft, tries to go with a hard cross trot chop against Tyree Phillips, some guy the Giants picked up on the scrap heap. And look how strong Tyree Phillips' outside hand is right there. Tyree Phillips is quick to engage that outside hand, and he gets a hold of the breastplate of Trayvon Walker. And then Trayvon Walker tries to break the wrist, break the contact at the elbow. And all and all Tyree Phillips ends up doing here, instead of getting his momentum too far forward, he just restricts the space of Trayvon Walker and allows Trayvon Walker to get chest to chest. And then he just kind of pulls Trayvon Walker into him. Walker's so strong that he backs him up a little bit, but that's a really good and impressive rep from Tyree Phillips right there to not lose against a violent cross chop from Trayvon Walker. Yep, you did a great job breaking that down, Nick. And it's fun to see, and it's exciting to see the Giants getting help from these backup players that have to come into the game here. And so here we're just going to see one of the plays that I thought was, you know, one of my favorite plays on film, despite it going incomplete. And why? Because, and I put this one on Twitter first today because it stood out the most to me. It's such a freaking damn good ball by Daniel Jones. We have not seen many back shoulder throws throughout Daniel Jones's career. But on this play right here, he does an excellent job. And one thing I wanted to notice, which I'll look at later, but let me first talk about the play here. Look at the throw here from Daniel Jones here. Comes off the RPO, has to get it over that second level defender. And as you'll see from the end zone angle, it just gets it over the head. So perfect trajectory on the throw and drive. That ball drives down layers and rips right into the back shoulder. Now, a lot of people are saying, oh, F you, Darius Slayton. This is a drop. As you'll see on the other angle, 
the Jaguars defender has his hand basically on Darius Slayton's face on the helmet, on the face mask. He so contacts really it too. He contacts yeah, he con- it. Should have actually mm-hmm. been DPI. So I don't should have been Darius Slayton as much. Because look, look, see it right there. You see the hand fully extend, the arm fully extended from the Jaguars defender in his face mask. So it's really hard to catch a football when you're completely blocked of your vision and someone's pushing your face mask back. So I don't want to blame Slayton too much, but I do want to show this throw because look how it layers over that linebacker and drives right into the numbers. A perfect back shoulder throw. This actually might be my favorite throw of the game from Jones when I think about it. But one thing I want to ask you about, Nick, actually, you know what? Jump in if there's anything you want to say about the throw and then I'll kind of noticed i want to throw throw to your attention one thing i i thought i saw pre-snap that i'm curious to get your take on i love the throw and i also like how it's basically hitting darius slayton on the lower six of his 86 right on the front so it's away from the defender no matter how you slice it right here this is a good throw by jones but you know you want darius slayton to catch the football but again i do believe it was dpi maybe a better receiver would catch it but i, I think you're right we shouldn't really just crap all over slayton for this type of drop yeah, I'm just not going to. I see a lot of people doing it on Twitter. I post this clip. It's hard. I wish I po- I can post like both versions, the the end zone and the sideline. And maybe I can throw it in the reply because if you see it from this end zone angle, you'll know you'll you'll really kind of uh, notice that the hand was in the face. But go back to the start of that play because this is what I want to talk about next. I want to see if you think this is anything. Watch Daniel Jones's right hand before the snap and see that little two that he motions. And if you see it from the sideline angle the little fingers he puts out there, almost like a baseball pitch, almost like a catcher to a baseball pitcher. Watch Darius Slayton too. He has his eyes on Daniel Jones. And Daniel Jones, when he makes this little motion with his fingers, Darius Slayton's looking at him. His helmet is tilted toward that way. Do you think that that was potentially a a pre-snap audible there, some kind of alert by Daniel Jones? Do you think those fingers meant anything? You see it right there as he puts his hand out, and you could see it from the end zone angle that it was two fingers. might have been one finger or two fingers. It's hard to tell. Um, And then he throws this as a back shoulder ball. Do you think that was anything? Do you think that had anything to do with him noticing the safety coming down pre-snap and kind of that he has that kind of leverage? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. He's not just doing it just to do it. <laughs> like yeah, it's okay. some sort of it's some sort of pre-snap communication. I mean, every offense has that. We had it in our offense at FDU. Like most of our offense, whenever we were using tempo, which was most of the time, we we had hand signals built into it that told the backside free access receiver, which Darius Slayton has a tight end to his side here, but regardless, that told that receiver what route he was gonna run based on the leverage of the defender that was in front of him. Yeah. Leverage of the cornerback and the safety dropping down toward the line of scrimmage. It's just good to see because I just, again, I didn't feel like I see too many examples of this with Jason Garrett. There probably were that, you know, I just don't recount these days, but it's good to see they're on the same page there. And that one, you know, without the helmet to Darius Slayton's face could have been a really big one. It's also important to note right now, we're about a minute away from halftime at this point of the game. Yes. And on this next play too, after the back shoulder, another Tampa two defense where, the Jags at right before the snap, they drop two guys deep showing Daniel Jones that it's going to actually more than likely be a too high defense. And they rotate the apex defender to be the Tampa two linebacker. And you can see right here, as I'm pausing it, how this is a Tampa, this is a textbook Tampa two defense for those who are new to football. And Daniel Jones recognizes it. And he notices the depth in the second and 10 play. So he just fires the ball to Chris Myrick, who ends up picking up 11 yards here. I mean, this is another, and Chris Myrick doesn't have to do much. He just chips and then he releases, but good choice by Daniel Jones to find him. Yes. And look, this is another Wink Martindale type of look. Yeah, another Wink Martindale type of look from that Jaguars defense. Great processing by Jones, and I thought really good, subtle pocket manipulation by Jones there. Just to slide his feet a little bit, to reset, find a little bit of a different throwing lane there. 
boom, right there. There's a little bit of pressure from his right. Not much, but you don't have to panic. Just subtly slide, reset, and throw that ball. And like you said, really good processing. Also, I thought really good block by Josh Azudu on this play. Look, Azudu wasn't amazing in pass reduction this game and generally speaking has had his struggles. But on this play, I thought he did a really good job holding up. As you'll see here, we run it back here. Zudu just kind of stonewalling his defender. It's nothing too special, but, you know, I just look at it, Nick, like at the end of a play, if your defender is the furthest one away from the quarterback, which he is here in Azudu's case, it's probably a good sign. But it is an important play, and not just because Azudu stonewalls him. It's the pre-snap portion of this. You can see Azudu right. communicating with John Feliciano. So for those listening, you have two linebackers, two second-level defenders who are in the A-gap, and then two defensive linemen, both essentially four eyes. So you have four guys between the tackle box right now. So Josh Azudu was communicating with John Feliciano, and you can see him pointing and everything. And both of those linebackers end up dropping to middle hooks in the Tampa 2 defense. They don't end up coming. And you can see Josh Azudu right at the snap, steps to the linebacker and you can see how the line of scrimmage kind of shifts to the right to account for all of the defenders who could possibly come right here but josh azudu realizes that that a gap defender ends up bailing into the middle hook so he ends up helping andrew thomas out and takes andrew thomas's four eye that allows andrew thomas to transition to the guy chris myrick is chipping and releasing to because if all of these players ended up coming, then there was going to be an unblocked defender on Daniel Jones. So it's just pretty cool to see how Josh Ajudu processed. I got to step to the A-gap defender, and then I got to help Andrew Thomas out. And he does it very swiftly, and then he executes a really good block. Yep. Well said. Well well, well broken down, Nick. Um, and so that second and 10 gets the Giants to a first and 10 situation. We have three more plays now before the half. I would say two of these three plays are not my favorite Daniel Jones plays. We'll start with this one, which I thought Daniel Jones fell back into a little bit of a bad habit here from a pocket presence standpoint, pocket manipulation. I just don't understand here why he needs to kind of tiptoe into the line of scrimmage here. Ground yourself set up there. If you take a look at that pocket, you'll see it even better from the end zone angle. I'm not exactly sure why he's, as I said, taking those tiptoes, those little baby steps forward into this pocket. It's pretty damn clean. And I would have loved for him to find his landmark earlier. And as you'll see, especially on the on the third and four play, because there was actually an option for him uh, with, to go with the football there. Um, but here again, I just don't understand why he's kind of tiptoeing into that when he really should really just be setting up where he catches the ball in the gun here. So there's no real reason to panic there. The the Andrew Thomas watching his guy up the arc. Tyree Phillips is doing a good job. The rest of the pocket looks pretty clean here. Um, I think it's maybe man he looked coverage. To run. It almost looks like maybe he looked yeah, to run. Yeah, he, he did. Yeah, yep. it's okay. man. It's man coverage, and he he looked oh, to run, but the ball ends up getting tipped here. He targets Wandale Robinson, who was kind of just he wasn't open anyway, so it's probably would have went incomplete, which ends up set, setting up a second and ten. But on the the play right here, it was a double out and up to the play side of this play against cover one. It didn't really look like the Giants had too much leverage with the safety kind of roaming back there. But again, two double moves in the red zone to try to get the Giants some uh, explosive type of plays because they're around the 20-yard line right now. Yep, exactly. And so, yeah, partially because he looks to run there, but it will get tipped because um, he's close to the line of scrimmage there. On the third and four here, though, I thought it was another example of, again, uh, and you'll see here just a little zone read here for, to get them into a third and four situation. Tough here. run by Brita. Six yard was run. A tough run. run here. But this was probably an example of a play that I'm sure Daniel Jones watches on film and wants to have back. You can see from that angle. Take a look from the sideline angle here. Not exactly sure why he steps up into the pocket here. Um, if he doesn't, though, he's going to have an opportunity 
to hit Wandell Robinson here wide open in the middle. So if he can just find a way to really just set up in that pocket, not step into that pocket, but when he takes that drop and he gets right into the shotgun right here, just ground yourself here. There's really no reason, as you guys can see on the film, for him to step into this play unless he is looking to run again, which I'm not sure if he was. But otherwise, it's fine, dude. Like Tyree Phillips pushes, pushes him man, his man back down. Andrew Thomas is doing a great job on his edge. You have a really clean pocket here. And if you just do set up there, instead of stepping up into where the guard is being pushed back, or it might've been Feliciano who's being pushed back to center. I think it was Feliciano. You're going to see Wondell Robinson is just wide open on his route here. Um, yeah, it's Josh Azudu getting pushed back. Sure, he's getting pushed back, but also Jones is stepping up into it. That's the problem here. No, no, so I like, know, but you yeah, said it was Feliciano. So yeah, no, no, correct. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, thank you. It was tough to see from there. And, and again, it is Azudu there. Um, but yeah, I mean, for me here, this would just, for sure be considered a miss by Jones. And you're going to have these. It's not a, it's impossible for any of these quarterbacks to pitch a perfect game. I'd like to see Tyree Phillips throw his defender, Dewan Smoot, to the ground. Granted, yeah. it's it's not like a complete throw to the ground because Dewan Smoot's just trying to get around, and he muddies the pocket here to make Daniel Jones a little bit uncomfortable. But still, nice play by Tyree Phillips. And Jones read everything well. Jones wanted to go to Wondell Robinson exactly. right here, but Zudu was beat too bad in pass protection. You could see Zudu right here. She's, this is These are the struggles that he has. He steps right here. He tries to anchor down. And, and whenever he allows a defender, it seems like, to engage through the ground with their core, low hips, win the leverage battle. Josh Azudu doesn't necessarily have the core strength quite yet to anchor right. down and really keep the pocket intact, I should say. But for me, this one goes without a doubt against Daniel Jones because he stepped up into the pressure there. Like that pocket was completely fine. Yeah, Azudu's losing ground, but it wouldn't matter if he just sets up and doesn't take those two, three steps forward. There's not going to be, there, Wanda will be open before Josh Azudu will lose that block. So, I don't know ultimately why he wants to them. Maybe he at first is looking to run or maybe he's just feeling that pressure around Tyree Phillips' side because it does seem early like he might get beat Tyree Phillips, but Phillips does a great job of recovering here. Yeah, I would I would put it more on a Zudu than Daniel Jones. Wondell Robinson, he gets right into his break and you can see Daniel Jones wants to throw this. And honestly, man, I'm kind of glad he just, at this point when he starts to flow outside, I'm just glad he just threw it away. Take oh, no, he did it. a great job throwing it away. Yeah. I just think those yeah. two, three steps he took into the pocket that were, to me, completely unnecessary are the reason why he doesn't have a throwing lane to, to Wondell Robinson. He's just hitching up, waiting for Wondell Robinson to come open and waiting for that, that uh, yeah, 23. To why is he hitching, though? I mean, he doesn't really take too many steps up. He takes like one kind of big step up right there. And then yeah, he kind of one just huge step place. up and then he kind of tries to reset. You're right. It is. But the, the one huge hitch there, just don't even hitch. Just catch that ball in the gun, ground yourself and wait. I don't think he I don't think he realizes that Azudu is as beat as he is, because right here he's looking down the field. He's looking at the safety to see what's going on. He's looking to see if Wondell Robinson is going to be open. And then it's at this point he takes that step forward. And then I think he starts feeling the pressure right now. If you're watching on YouTube, which it means he's in the pocket, he's not even rearing up to throw. And then he's like, oh, crap, man, this guy's right down my throat. It's actually kind of impressive that he ended up getting away anyways. But yeah, this I'm still I'm sure he'd be a, somebody who would say that he'd want the play back just because it didn't end up working out. Giants still get three points going to halftime with a lead for once. Yep, they do. Um, now we roll through to the second half. It's an 11 play, 72 yard drive on their first play. Unfortunately, ends in that turnover on downs. That's the one where. Um, Marcus Johnson, they, they try to throw that inbreaker to Marcus Johnson. Jones, Azudu doesn't pick up the guy. Get, Jones gets hit. We'll see it soon. Um, and you'll see it from the, you, you'll kind of get a good idea of 
Jaguars played it well, but at the same time, uh, Daniel Jones threw an excellent ball with great ball placement. It could have been caught. But this one starts off with a little play action to the flat to Barkley. Daniel Jones just taking what they're giving him. Yeah, and again, another Tampa 2-type defense. You can see the depth that this team is dropping to is, is pretty wild right here. Right after they notice that it's a play-action pass, they all just drop the depth. And this is the second time that we're going over this where Daniel Jones is like, okay, you want to drop that deep in this Tampa 2? Fine, I'm just going to take what's there. Ends up going yeah. for six yards. And the Giants got away with one there, too, because Glowinski had a really bad hold there on that play, if you can see, <laughs> if you saw that one. But, you know, we'll take that when they get away with it. And here's another example on the second and four here of what we were talking about before. Mike Kafka just taking Mike Kafka and Daniel Jones taking advantage of how aggressive the, the Jaguar second defender, second level defenders were like he understands here that based on where these Jag, based on the fact that this Jaguars defender is blitzing into uh, from that vacated zone that overhang defender he's going to have this easy glance rpo route over the middle darius slayton there it is pitch and catch real easy stuff and it's not even blitz though like rashawn jenkins he's the safety he drops into the box and this is you're right though the, the aggressiveness of, of jacksonville it's just this coaching staff taking advantage of it because you could see he's anticipating saquon barkley getting the football and he yeah, sees mark right. it's not even like a blitz like a run blitz yeah. almost well, because Jacksonville, he sees the puller. So number two is like, okay, I have to be the contained defender because right, right. Trayvon Walker is going to go in and try to spill this all outside. So I have to go and take the zone read. And this is just a really tough spot for Rashawn Jenkins, number two, to be in in this spot because he's anticipating the zone read run. And this is why the RPO is so great. That's the read defender. The read defender steps down. You can see right here when Daniel Jones is in the mesh point, he's looking to see what Rashawn Jenkins is doing. He sees that Rashawn Jenkins dropped down as far as he did. And he's like, oh man, this, this is going to be wide open right here if Darius Slayton can win on an inside slant, which Slayton, which Slayton wins all the time, even against a cornerback as solid as Tyson Campbell. So love Love it, man. Yeah, Love just the smart depth that they played those linebackers at. It was so aggressive in it, and I thought the Giants did a good job taking advantage here. Um, this next play, post wheel again, clear out. Uh, they end up just hitting the tight end here for ten. But I just thought and this was this was on Myrick. I just thought this was a really good example of Daniel Jones selling the play fake really well on that play, um, and so. You know, the slight the sleight of hand play fakes they've improved so much for me with Jones under the new coaching staff. They really have. He, I mean, the ones where he takes it on the naked boot, it's uh, well, that's a whole nother level of it. It's very impressive. It's very nice to see. You know, it's naked. It's very nice to see. And here's my yeah, nice, nice. You get this. Nice. This is actually my favorite play call of the day. Um, I don't want to spoiler it, so maybe maybe I'll think of something else I can pick here. But I loved watching this one from the end zone angle. It's just such a creative freaking design here from the Giants. And that's just been the story of this team, my dude. Like creative designs over and over here. It's it's an end around to Matt Breida. Daniel Jones. This, this, I love the Daniel Jones play fake here. He catches the shotgun snap keeps the ball in his left hand, fakes a quick pass out to Barkley, who's coming in motion, and then just hands it back around to, to Brita. It's just so can, well done. Look at the Jaguars defenders. Look how ridiculous, look how, look at where they're moving with their eyes, except for the one guy who, who recognizes it. And you could see before the snap, that one guy in the middle does recognize what's going on and, and tries to get out there in time, but he just can't make it out there. And Matt Breed is quick, man. He's fast. He's yeah. a player that we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks. He's a true asset on this offense and an underrated player on this team right now. And Chris and Myrick so with a cool lead block. Myrick. Yeah, Myrick yeah. come all the way around and make that block. But I just love watching Daniel Jones catch the snap, make the full pump fake with his right hand, and then keep it in his left hand and, and, and to hand the ball off on the end around there to Brita. Just so cool to see. Because again, you right here, 
Daniel Jones just tucks it right there behind. Like the defense can't see it. If, if they just saw exactly. Daniel Jones' arm, like he, they don't know where the football is because Daniel Jones is blocking the defense. And this is the second right. time that uh, in a different manner that, that Kafka and Dable are creating obstructions that completely legal obstructions or that the defense cannot see the football going into some sort of mesh point. Love to hear that. It's so true, man. Like he's blocked. And if you're a defender and you're seeing that ball, like the, 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 the throw fake out to Barkley by Jones there, you're seeing no ball in his hand. You're probably just thinking the ball was thrown, right? The ball was released. He's blocking the let the ball with his, like you said, yep. with his back and with his left hand. So you got to assume that it's Saquon Barkley. He's throwing, trying to throw that ball really quick out to Barkley and there's no ball left in his hand. And so that's what you see a lot of those Jaguars defenders looking that direction. You absolutely love to see it. And then we go right back to the zone read. And I think this is where on this drive, which we'll see later in the game that Daniel Jones yeah. starts keeping it. You could see how the Giants are starting to have success with their rushing attack at this point. And it's starting to wear down Jacksonville into the second half. Giants are just moving the football with Saquon Barkley on these zone reads. And you're going to start to see Jacksonville's defense get really aggressive as yes. we go on here, which is going to open up a lot of rushing lanes for Daniel Jones on the zone read. And it's literally going to happen on the next play. It looks like right here where uh, 91 on Although, Jacksonville. Before we do that, though, look at John Feliciano. Clears out there you go, the defender John. right there. It's just the other blockers didn't necessarily do as good of a job. I mean, Tyree Phillips, the 33 does a good job kind of evading Tyree Phillips right here. Right. But I wanted to give a shout out to Feliciano scumbag. Yeah. The scumbag as he, as he likes to call himself. Um, and then here you see a good example of what I said earlier. Daniel Jones makes the right decisions on these zone reads. He sees 91 crashing down ridiculously hard here on a third and two to sell out to stop Saquon Barkley. So what does he do? He keeps the football. That's what you're supposed to do on these zone reads. You're supposed to read that defender, 91, and make that decision. And that's exactly what he does. Now, do you want to see him potentially slide at the end of this play? Probably. Um, it's Daniel Jones. He doesn't always love to slide. Uh, it takes probably a hit. He probably doesn't need to, but... The more important thing is him reading 91 and keeping the ball for a big game. And this is what I'm talking about, too. The redefender. Yes. Not only is he the redefender who crashes, but number two gets removed by Chris Myrick because there are RPO tags on this play. And we've seen this same exact play several times where they run a bubble that the Giants never look at to the top of the screen. Daniel Jones goes into the mesh point, and then you have a tight end in the flat with a receiver running the seven route to high-low if it is zone. But since it's man... Both of those eligible receivers get accounted for. And since 91, Dewan Smoot pinches, there's no one to scrape and replace to take contain on Daniel Jones, who ends up just getting isolated against the safety. So this is just easy yardage for Daniel Jones and a great read. And then the next play right after that was a little play action rollout here. Hit Barkley in the flat. Just easy yardage here. And then on the next play was the roughing the passer that negated an interception that if it counted, we might be having a slightly different conversation about Daniel Jones because I know I don't have the play in this feed that I'm showing on the YouTube, but if you remember, Daniel Jones just kind of ended up throwing it to an underneath defender and it was a little bit inexplicable, but I believe it was Josh Allen. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Goes head first right into Daniel Jones yes. to take a, a necessary unnecessary roughness that should have been called. And that's what I mean by the necessary part. Yeah, it was a good call. I mean, it was roughing the passer, but it does negate uh, Daniel Jones's worst play by far in the game. He just, it, it was just a regular RPO um, where he's trying to hit Marcus Johnson and you're not seeing it here. We don't have it in the feed, but just to go over it because it was his worst play. And for, for some reason, Jones just doesn't completely misses the underneath defender, throws the interception. who's just kind of sitting in that. He never accounts for him pre-snap, it seems like. Um, 
And so that's one of the few, few rare times we've seen it. The good news is he's doing a much better job, both pre and post snap of accounting for where all these defenders are. So we really haven't seen a play like that since that week two play against Carolina, where you didn't see Luvao or whatever his name was in the open. In, in disrespect, the, uh, man. Disrespect. Thank you, Luvu. 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 Whatever the hell that guy's name is. But, you know, we haven't seen it since week two. Um, obviously, we got the roughing the passer, though. So it is what it is. There are a ton of roughing, ton of ridiculous uh plays that were called roughing the passer some warranted some not that was warranted so obviously we move forward here with a first and 10 situation um and this was a play where i thought was another good job by daniel jones pre-snap look at him alerting the offense looks like he's alerting the tight ends pre-snap um and ultimately after the alert he gives out there to the tight ends and maybe to his offensive line here you see them get into a play that really works obviously it's a really good individual play by Saquon barkley with a cutback it's a really good block down i thought at least by tyree phillips here the right tackle um but another good example of daniel jones uh, obviously making these pre-snap alerts and understanding something from what he sees pre-snap to get the Giants to do a better play. Yeah, he's kill-killing this. He's probably yelling kill-kill, which means whatever the play that was called, they're, they're transitioning to another play, some sort of yep. adjustment off of what they were running. And what they end up running is just a weak side counter rush with the mis misdirection element with Daniel Jones opening up to the strong side of a double Y set, not just a double Y set, but a, a set that has big personnel. As the Giants come out with Devery Hamilton, as the big tight end and then two tight ends outside of him. Cause remember Bellinger is gone at this point, the giants are down several linemen. So this is something that I'm not even certain Devery Hamilton practiced a bunch, which is a testament to Bobby Johnson and his coaching ability to get Devery Hamilton in here on this play and be able to, and just throughout the game, whenever they use big personnel, which they end up doing a lot from here on out on offense. It's a testament to the coaching, but I love this play, man. Cause it's just a misdirection. Like you said, it was changed at the line of scrimmage by Daniel Jones. You have the backside guard pull. You have, Chris Myrick to lead block. And then it's just Saquon Barkley, just making people miss in a phone booth, like a ridiculous man, like a ridiculous person. Yeah. And good power there by 79 as well. There little help on his block, but I thought Tyree Phillips did a good job. I thought the ball fake there by Jones was good. A lot of good things going on on this play. Oh yeah. And Tyree Phillips buries the guy who's initially engaged yep. with John Feliciano there. Yeah, a little help from Feliciano too, but just an excellent job by Terry Phillips. He's a big dude, man. He is going to help in the run game, I I hope, I feel like. Um, then we get into this little first down run that goes for nothing here. Same exact play. <laughs> we'll see We'll back. see a lot of uh, redundant plays going forward early in the day are necessary. But by the way, it's not a bad thing in my mind, too. Just from a game theory standpoint, Nick, I'm thinking like, if you're a defensive coordinator, do you ever think an offensive coordinator is calling the exact same play twice in a row? And no, the answer is no. You probably don't from a game theory standpoint. It's kind of like when you play rocks, paper, scissors, shoot, and you throw the rock, you win with it, or you lose with it, and whatever the outcome is, then you throw the rock again, which is one of my favorite go-to moves in rock, paper, scissors, shoot. I feel like we've played rock, paper, scissors, shoot a few times, Nick, and I've won those times. Is that a correct memory, or is that just a bad, uh, incorrect memory of mine? I think the winning part, and it's not, there's there's no rhyme or reason to it, but I'm sure we probably played it to like judge, oh, who's going to get to go, well, no, ping pong, we wouldn't do it. So when would we play it? The only time we would play it is, is some sort of game where- If there's was, any game that we've played where there's like an advantage, advantage to be had, yeah. and it needs to be decided quick, I feel like- but We would volley for serve for ping pong. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to think of know. Smash Brothers. 
Yeah, I think I'm over. I think I'm thinking of an of of a of another friendly rivalry that I've had in in some kind of game with somebody else. I'm a pretty good RP RP you know RPS player, rock paper scissors player. Uh, but I've I've given away my main strategy now, so that's probably going to haunt me going forward. If anybody who plays me listens to this podcast anytime, but yeah, I don't like the, I don't mind the idea as a coordinator of going back to the same play because I do think from a game theory standpoint, you're probably not expecting it as a defense coordinator. And by the way. We saw it work later in the game. The Giants actually put that into motion later in the game when they ran similar plays consecutively, the same play consecutively, not similar, and it worked. Yeah, it's pretty ridiculous, but you can see right here that the Giants attempt to run the same play, and Devin Lloyd does a good job kind of filling right there and embracing Saquon Barkley with a very uninviting hug. And then third and two, I like that they were, in my opinion, a really good uh, offense from a coordination standpoint and from a play calling standpoint, uses a lot of quarterback on the move, especially if you have a quarterback like Daniel Jones in the red zone. So I like that they did a little bit of a rollout here. He maybe, I thought, could have thrown the over to David Sills. It's possible that he has that little corner route there to David Sills. A little bit of leverage on the defensive back. It's a tough throw. I think yeah, he ahead. does. I think I think David Sills has the leverage. You could see it right here. This is a good play design. Daniel Jones goes in the mesh point, and then he just gets on the move, roll out, and you have a three, not a three-level read, but you have three routes that are all centralized, and they're all in man coverage. Wondell Robinson's whip route kind of gets blown up. So David Sills, though, who is the outside receiver, releases up and runs a seven route, and he has the guy beat by about three yards, but Daniel Jones is targeting Marcus Johnson and not even looking in David Sills' direction for reasons that we can probably presume at this point. The ball ends up getting tipped and going incomplete, though. And it's a tougher throw by Jones to have to try to get it over because he has a second-level defender. Jones has to change the trajectory on the football, which is why the throw is so high. I actually don't mind the ball placement by Jones despite it being so high because if he throws it differently, it might get it might get chopped down there. There might be you know, might get tipped by that defender coming at him. But like you said, and you could see David Sills after the play, David Sills was the receiver to go to, and he's kind of jumping around there because he knows he did get open there, Sills, and, he, and they kind of missed the opportunity there. I think they missed an opportunity, but they make up for it later in the game, not yes. on this drive. <laughs> no, not on this fourth and two, as you're seeing one of the big plays here. Uh, Nick kind of talked about I want to bring up one thing, too, from the last yeah. drive. If I'm going to go back, just because there's a lot of people who have been listening to us for a while, we've mentioned banjo coverage before. And we're not just talking about some weird scene from Deliverance. We're talking about what you're going to see at the bottom of the screen with Wandell Robinson and David Sills. Now, if you look, and for those listening, Wandell Robinson and David Sills, they're basically stacked off of each other with David Sills off the line of scrimmage. And you have two defenders who are in manly looks right over the top of him in press because the Giants are essentially on the goal line. And if you watch, Wandale Robinson releases outside underneath David Sills's release, and you can see how both of the cornerbacks for Jacksonville, they switch their assignments right there. And that's why David Sills ends up getting open. The original number two cornerback over Wandale Robinson takes David Sills. And that's why David Sills is able to create so much separation. We know David Sills athletically is not necessarily a player who's going to create separation, but the banjo coverage here, and this is what we mean by banjo, is it switches right at the snap. If one guy goes out, I'm going to take him. You take the guy who goes inside. Now this time the Giants kind of run two routes that are outside. That's why David Sills ends up having the leverage that he does. Yeah. Excellent breakdown there. And you know, they'll look at that on film. They'll get, they'll, they'll want that back. Look at it. And then obviously on the fourth and two, you broke it down a little bit earlier here. Um, Josh Azudu 
blows his block early, gets Daniel Jones completely blown up. And look, Daniel Jones has always had the trait of being poised in the pocket, not scared to take a hit and still deliver the football, which is exactly what he does here, knowing he's going to get destroyed here. But you don't want your franchise quarterback taking hits like this because they could lead to injuries, and that could ruin your entire season. So you don't want blown blocks like this from the from, from anyone on your offensive line. And it looks like just a little bit of communication issue here. As you can see before the snap, Azudu just not exactly sure where to be. And despite all that, Jones puts the ball in a really good spot. But, you know, I thought this was twofold. I thought maybe you can blame Johnson for the drop as far as at the catch point goes. Um, but also it was really good coverage by by the Jacksonville defender who wasn't really too fooled by it and kind of stayed on the inbreaker route. Yeah, that Jacksonville defender did a great job just allowing Wanda Robinson to do his thing and then coming off. And he's probably the main reason why this play didn't work. But the yep. ball was still put right into Marcus Johnson's hand. I can understand the frustration from Daniel Jones. Yeah, for sure. Because especially if you're Jones and you realize that I just stood there in that pocket tall, despite <laughs> my left guard just literally allowing a free rusher on the interior, not like an unaccounted defender on the on the edge. It's a free rusher up the interior. There's just a blown miscommunication in the offensive line. I stood there, I took a hit, and still delivered the ball right exactly where it needs to be. Now, again, part of it was Jags defender playing it well, but also it could have been caught. You know, some receivers can maybe attack that football differently or find a different way to catch that football. And so, um, yeah, I can understand that frustration for sure. It looked, it felt like at that point, maybe this was the first game the Giants were actually going to lose in one of these tight situations. Yeah. To me, at least, Nick, when I was watching the game, I was like, shit, man, like they missed that fourth and two there. Which, by the way, I fully support going for it on fourth and two there, my personal opinion there. From a goal to go situation, there just two yards to go. You're in a you want to be an aggressive head coach like you were in week one. We can't knock it when it doesn't work. When it does work, Titans versus now. And again, my whole thing with with going for it in these situations are one, this is an offense that has proven they are pretty good in these in these short yardage situations. They design interesting plays. They get situations where it's not just like totally oh, there's nowhere to go with the football. Two, miss it here. What do you do? You put the offense in a tough spot. Now they have first and 10 from their own two and they're backed up and they might get a safety or they might be forced to punt from within their end zone where they could get blocked or it could be a bad punt, a shank punt or a punt return that puts you right back into field goal range anyway. So again, most offenses I support it, especially this offense, which has proven time and time again, they can pick up two yards. Exactly. And that's going to set up a five play 21 yard drive where the Giants end up punting the football yes. too, which is which is like again kind of substantiates what you just said, or at least reinforces it because the Giants, it's like, oh man, you know, they don't score and then they have to punt the ball only five plays the next drive. Even though at this point in the game, the Giants do not have the lead. I believe the score at this point is what, 13 to 17, Jacksonville? Yes, 13 17 at this point. So let's go right to the drive then. And what do the Giants do? They go right to the zone read on the first play. You can see 41, Josh Allen, be very disciplined. We'll see it on the end zone and then move on to the next play. So Daniel Jones knows, okay, they're still being disciplined at this point. Got to hand the football off. There's the read defender, Josh Allen, hand the football to Saquon Barkley. Saquon Barkley, again, man, almost springs a huge run here, but 47 yes. comes off his block of Andrew Thomas and, and ends up making a pretty impressive tackle on Saquon to set up a second and four. Yeah, we'll run through this drive a little bit here. You have a good job here by Myrick holding up an edge, I thought. Um, you know, not the easiest task there for a tight end. Um, we've seen players screw that up. And it was a good read again by Daniel Jones. He's doing a good job of reading when to keep it, when to give the ball up. So they are able to get a little first down here. We'll show you a little bit of a stretch zone here where Barkley gets three. Roll that tape. So, Three-yard run by Saquon. 
So you got second two zone seven. reads and then a zone re- and then a stretch zone to set up the second and seven. Yeah, this play has a few things. A couple. One thing I like by Daniel Jones. One thing I probably don't like here by Daniel Jones, but you can't oh, wow. really see from that angle and takes a huge hit. That I don't like more than anything. I like that he makes a decision here based on what he sees post snap with the coverage down the field to not pull the trigger here and to take the sack because if he throws this football down the field, there is no option for him at any point. But I didn't love his. Uh, you know, the the post-snap confirmation of where that middle defender is who has to work around a lot of trash here to get to Myrick here. So if Daniel Jones understands that that defender is going to have to work on from the middle, basically the middle of the field there, almost like operating as like, a, I don't know what who that was there. It looks like maybe one of their safeties who came down. He can kind of get the ball right there to Myrick, you know, just take the ball here if he recognizes this because that defender has to work around and around that coverage there. Um, and it looks like it's what, number two there? Number two has to ultimately work. Yeah, exactly. It's to ultimately work around David Sills's route. And so he could get that ball right there in the flat to Chris Myrick, and you'll probably get a pretty good good gain out of it because that defender has to work around. But, you know, that's not part of the progression. He's obviously looking downfield early, and I like the decision to not throw that anywhere. But, damn, does he take a big hit on that? Yeah, he gets sacked. He takes a walloping hit. I think maybe Daniel Jones believes pre-snap that Wando Robinson is going to be open on the horizontal cross. Ah, but the way yep. 31 plays this, 31 – outside leverage and he loses to the inside release of Wondell Robinson badly, but then he goes right into trail, which I believe is probably by design if I'm guessing. And he sinks underneath the release of Wondell Robinson with the safety over top. And it's almost like a bracket on the, in the middle of the field over Wondell Robinson. And I think that was Daniel Jones's read. He didn't anticipate that. And it was a good adjustment by this Jacksonville defense. But if it right. wasn't that, I think, I think you're right. Chris Myrick is the read there based on just the play. And this is something Daniel Jones fully understands, right? You have two inside breaking routes against man coverage with the flat going in the flat. <laughs> so that number two, Rashawn Jenkins, who has the assignment of Chris Myrick, knows he has to work over the top as you broke down. So I, I think he just got a little fooled. I don't think fooled is the right word. It was just a nice adjustment by Jacksonville yeah. to eliminate Wondell Robinson. And kudos, you know, albeit you should say it, the production isn't great here. So Jones has to make his decision fast. You know, he doesn't have time potentially to work back toward, you know, he, he may think he has something like he said with Robinson and he doesn't really have too much time to get off of that. Um, and obviously on the next play, you can see here as Nick's rolling the tape here. Um, was this the third and four that they challenged, I believe, right? Yeah. Yeah. So. Tanner Hudson doesn't end up catching. I thought it. that was a catch, but I guess the challenge said it wasn't. Did you think after the review it was or wasn't? I think I thought it wasn't. Okay. Because it yeah, bobbled, I can see the ball there. moving. The ball's moving. Yep. Yeah, as he tries to pin it to his hip. So that was the main reason why. But it was good pass protection here. Jacksonville again, man. They're sending pressure. They send five here, which is kind oh, well, of like up. it's kind of like four, just because Saquon Barkley's in protection, and I think the guy who ends up coming on the blitz is really just the assigned to Saquon Barkley. So Giants, though, still pick it up pretty well because it was somewhat of a simulated pressure. Yep. Obviously, that leads to the punt. And so now here comes, as always, the Giants seem to have one now every game. It feels like a fourth quarter game-winning touchdown drive. And that's just the Giants this year so far in 2022. It's a 10-play, 79-yard drive. So this is a long drive here where they go. And we start off here, a little cross-dig, double-in type of route here. Daniel Jones doesn't like what he sees, makes a decision really early, and the correct decision to try to get out there. I thought... 
I was interested to see your take on this, Nick. He tries to squeeze through this little hole. I almost thought if he cuts that back to the left instead and jukes out that defender, he has a lot more green grass cutting to his left. Said he tries to squeeze through it um, and ultimately just get gets uh, one yard on this play. Yeah, he would have had like 20 yards if he did squeak through. And he may have known that there were two clear out routes to that side, but I'm not going to sit there and fault him when all the bolts are flying for something like exactly. that. And again, you can, yep. you can see what happens with Wandell Robinson on this deep cross. You have the center field safety paying attention to him. And then 31 kind of allows Wandell Robinson to win outside. And then he just rotates, does a speed turn and then sinks underneath it. You could tell that the Jags circled Wandell Robinson and we're like, we're not going to allow you to beat us over the middle of the field. Yeah, especially in the second half, they adjusted to Robinson, who had such a big half. And that was just great coverage by the Jaguars. So I did think it was a good job by Daniel Jones not to make the decision of throwing that football and potentially hurting the Giants. And this is a really fun play to watch here. Another really good design by Dable, Kafka, whoever you want to give the credit to here. A lot of eye candy pre-snap, and you get the Jaguars defense moving in one direction. Then you just fake that, fake the jet sweep and, and pitch it out to Barkley. Yeah, fake jet sweep to the linebacker. Josh Azudu gets a pancake against Foldy Fatukasi, my guy. It looks like Fatukasi's right foot just like doesn't end up planting, which allows Azudu to drive him into the deck. But look at Azudu just kind of steer Fatukasi because Azudu is losing the pad level battle, but he's moving laterally, Azudu. He keeps his feet moving. He stays square, and then he just uses his power to win this rep. That's an impressive play right there from the kid. Damn right it is. And that sets up a third and one situation here for the Giants, which again, they are able to convert. This is a 10 play 79 yard drive. And here's just an example of what I was talking about a little bit before here. You have multiple Jaguars defenders penetrating here upfield 95 who's really should have the Giants dead to rights here. 44, but both of them have to account a little bit. You can see it with their eyes for Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley. And again, you see Jones making a pre-snap alert, but they have to account for him. And so you got a guy like with Matt Breida, who all he needs is one step. All he needs is a little bit of hesitation out of those two penetrators, 95 and 44. And that's exactly what he gets to make that play. And you could see as they kind of try to like, as they recognize that, okay, it's not going to Saquon Barkley. It's not going to Daniel Jones here. We have to go back. It is going to Matt Breida. It's too late by that point. It's just too easy. I mean, what just happened on the last play? Tanner Hudson, fake pitch or fake jet sweep pitch it to Saquon Barkley. Now you actually run this little jet sweep type of play to Matt Breida, who's the wing back coming from that same position, and Jacksonville doesn't anticipate it. It's It literally almost is like Mike Kafka is everything that he's doing. He He's playing chess when other teams are playing checkers. It almost seems like, and I'm not saying that to be disrespectful to other coordinators, but you can just tell how every drive he has a plan to use certain looks and then run plays based on what those looks were. If that makes sense. It does make sense. And it's a lot of what some of it was like these types of things, at least are some of what we saw with Andy Reed in Kansas city. And I know he learned a lot of it there. Like the idea that you can pick up a lot of free yards with a lot of jet jet sweep type plays and that type of action pre-snap with the pre-snap motion. And, you know, like you mentioned earlier, he, I'm ultimately more concerned about losing him than Wink Martindale this offseason because somebody's going to look at what he's doing here and be like, this is some top level offensive coordination right now. And obviously, as you see there, uh, the Giants tried to run a little bit of a double move, it looks like there. Um, this was a really risky pass from Jones. He tried to layer it over the top there. Um, good read, I thought. I mean, a good job, at least, of kind of working through his progressions pretty fast here. Um, but just ultimately nothing really open, and he tried to make a difficult throw. Yeah, Rashawn Jenkins played this really well. He's the defender who was initially tasked to be on Chris Myrick underneath 
And Daniel Jones anticipates that he's going to stay there, but Rashawn Jenkins almost intercepts the pass, just sinking underneath the seven route off the double move by Darius Slayton. But go back to that one real quick, Nick, before we move forward and go to the end zone view, because I will say one thing about that play from the end zone view. By God, my man, by God, is the pass protection pretty on this one. I know ultimately there's no routes open, whatever, but Jesus Christ, there is just no one within anywhere near Daniel Jones's sight there. He can just manipulate that pocket, work back from left to right, and make any throw he wants there. Nothing open, but a great pocket nonetheless. You'll love to see it. Now we have Daniel Jones using his athletic ability, and this is an impressive run, 24 yards on a second and 10 by Daniel Jones, who quickly realizes, okay, I'm going to run this football, and he runs through an arm tackle to pick up like an extra seven yards or something like that. And if you look at the route concepts here, you have Chris Myrick releasing on a drag route after the chip. You have the Darius Slayton kind of running a whip type of route. He kind of goes inside and then he just pivots back outside. Wondell Robinson is running kind of like a wheel route, kind of up the numbers a little bit, has a little bit of leverage, but Daniel Jones feels the pressure as the Jacksonville Jags bring the blitz and he just bails the pocket and runs into space. Smart decision by the kid. And honestly, if he doesn't get tripped up there by five, he probably houses this. He does. And you could see him slam the ground after he knew how close he was to creasing that with that cut back. And I love it. But I really and that part is cool. Right. He almost creases that he almost stays on his feet and runs it. But I just love how fast he was able to process the blitz there. There were two linebackers or two second level Jaguars defenders blitzing there. So he knows that they're blitzing and he knows based on that blitz that if he just takes off into that little area early, he can make a big play. And that's exactly what he does. He goes into the vacated area. Decision makes decision early, really. He doesn't even really re- he, he just understands that that is going to be there. It's going to be an option. And again, pretty good pass protection there by Barkley. A little bit extra help there, but that's a big play by Daniel Jones to process that fast and to know that the best option here when they're blitzing those two guys is to just take it himself and run for 24 yards. And that sets up a first and 10, just another zone read. And this time, Daniel Jones ends up keeping it. And look at this block by Andrew Thomas to get in the way of Aluakon. Just eliminate him from the play. And it actually looks even more impressive from the sideline angle. Good read by Jones. You can see the defender pinch. Exactly. Andrew Thomas. That's the thing, man. Like you think like, oh no, right. Daniel Jones just ran a 24 yard run where he put so much into it, cut it back, almost housed it. Like maybe he'll just hand the ball off here. Right. That's what the event's thinking. Maybe he'll just give it, but no, he reads it. He's not worried about like, you know, he's not just like, I'm tired. No, I'm not tired. I'm going to take the ball again. I'm going to pick up another free nine yards because you pinch down and that's the read and I'm going to take it. And that's just, it's just awesome to see because, you know, look, some people, to some degree, people, you know, you may wonder, oh, is it more fun to watch a quarterback that's throwing dimes down the field, intermediate vertical shots all game like this? Or, you know, is it fun to watch a quarterback and play for a quarterback if you're these Giants teammates who can do things like this, right? Who can just make these kind of plays with his legs and keep your offense moving and give you these free yards while the clock continues to move all game like Daniel Jones is able to give them on back-to-back plays. He gave the Giants offense 33 yards there. And that's big. And the clock continues to move through that as well. So it has to be fun in my mind. Yeah, it's probably fun as receivers to get a quarterback who's just like diming balls up down the field left and right, like Mahomes and Allen or whatever. But as like an offensive line and just the team as a whole, man, you have a quarterback who can do this with his legs all game like Daniel Jones is able to do. It's truly must be fun to play with. And also, I got to love that Wando Robinson runs this bubble here just to 
occupy that apex defender to allow Daniel Jones to have more space. Just little things like that. Little things like that go a long way. They really do. And they go for negative one on this next one, which was a pretty good block by Feliciano, it looked like, but um, just couldn't get it going. And then that picks up and it leads it to just a, a simple three-yard pickup on the zone read to get them into a first and 10 situation where we'll see maybe my favorite run of the season uh, from, from Saquon Barkley. As crazy as that may sound, it was just so impressive. Um, 18-yard gain, just wild jukes. He's just I dead to rights, man. He's just dead to rights here. Like two plays this perfectly. He should. It should be a negative two yard gain or a negative two, a two yard loss here. Two plays this incredibly well. He's tricky before the before the snap there, kind of looking out. Look at number two here before the snap. He's kind of looking to the left and he just penetrates. Barkley just jukes him then cut, sees the cutback lane, understands the cutback lane, and then even finishes at the end by not trying to do more with it by getting vertical at the end of this play, which is just such a nuance of it. And I really just loved Azudu, the job Azudu did on this play as well. Josh Azudu staying with his block and then blocking down to clear that final cutback lane. Um, and so this is just such an excellent play by Saquon Barkley here to evade that and then to see the cutback lane. And a really good job by the Giants offensive line, specifically in my mind, at least Josh Azudu, of maintaining his block and then driving 95 back and, and clearing that big cutback lane. He's so low to the ground when he cuts here. It's so hard. And then Rashawn Jenkins does a really good job getting up, and he still can't locate Saquon Barkley, despite the fact that Saquon Barkley changed his entire momentum and his direction to run right in front of the face of Rashawn Jenkins. Like Saquon Barkley is playing unreal football right now. Unreal, elite, number one running back in the league type of football. Yep. And then we got a DPI that we didn't show you, the slate and defensive pass interference, which neither Nick or nor I think was actually pass interference. But, you know, we'll take a couple breaks. Then, like, two straight penalties by the Jaguars, one 12 men, and I think they're offside. And so it's, like, first and goal from the inches. So they finally just do the smart thing that I love to see NFL teams do. Just use the sneak, man. The sneak works all the time. If it's one or less for me, Nick, I just want to sneak. And you know what I want these days? I want to sneak with an up back right behind the quarterback to do the push thing. Because they allow this push thing. It's legal now. So you just sneak it. You get the guy behind him. He pushes him forward. God bless you. You can't stop that no matter what. So just, I love that they did run the sneak here. It's, it's, it, you can't have, you, you, you lower your margin of error when you run the sneak. And now the Giants have taken the lead. They're up by yes. three points. And they're about to go on an eight-play, 61-yard drive to bleed the clock to a minute and seven. And on all of these eight plays, the Giants run the same exact, I don't want to say the exact play because there are wrinkles mm-hmm. that we over but the same play and you want to talk about demoralizing your opponent dan that is exactly what happened when mike kafka saquon barkley and this giants offense went out there and just consistently ran power pulled the backside guard saquon barkley big personnel with uh every hamilton in there you'll see it right now we'll bring it up on the screen for those watching we can just run through these plays because it's the same exact freaking thing josh azudu is going to pull the fullback is going to kick out josh azudu is going to lead block On the first play, Saquon Barkley bounces it outside for a nice gain, gets a first down. So now Jacksonville's like, okay, well, we're going to have to stop that, presumably, right, Dan? Well, not exactly, not entirely. And you can see how Devery Hamilton is in there as a big personnel. Beautiful block by Josh Azudu to turn Rashawn Jenkins away. This play wasn't as fruitful, but that sets up the next play, which Mike Kafka says, okay, motion. Chris Myrick, Josh Azudu pull, kick out Rashawn Jenkins again, Saquon Barkley outruns the linebacker and runs through Tyson Campbell, gets out of bounds, which Saquon Barkley was pissed about. That was the first time Saquon Barkley went out of bounds. And that's not something that you necessarily want. 
And now Matt Bruda comes into the game. And this is where they change it up a little bit, right, Dan? Oh, yeah. And by change it up, they just run it to the other side. Yeah. (laughs) I was going to say, you'll see here, they literally just flip the play. It's like in Madden, where you just go to your play call page and you just click flip, you know, little button that flips it. That's all they do. Yeah. They didn't even, well, it wasn't a pure flip because all they did, it was like in Madden when you're at the line of scrimmage and you like the front that's to another side. That's oh, oh, it's like the, yeah, you revert. Yeah. Okay. It's the audible at the line of scrimmage. You're right. <laughs> it's the audible at the line of scrimmage because they're running it to, to the tight end side, not the big sure. offensive lineman side. And this only goes for two yards, but it sets up a second and eight. And this is where they run an adjustment off of the play that I absolutely love. Cause at this point, Jacksonville, Dan is like, yo, what the heck is going on? We can't stop them. They just keep running the same play. They don't go into a, a two, two running back quote unquote personnel package behind Daniel Jones. They use Chris Myrick as a wing back off of Tanner Hudson and they bring him in motion to quote unquote lead block. Only it's all a ruse. Dan, Daniel Jones keeps the ball and there's no Jacksonville Jag in sight. And if you look at this play, Dan, look at Devin Lloyd and Trayvon Walker, 33 and 44. They both go way over to Matt Breida. Nobody is paying attention to Daniel Jones on this naked boot. No one is. And not only is no one paying attention to Daniel Jones in this naked boot, Daniel Jones does such an excellent job of selling this thing. Look at the ball. Look at, look at. 44 here 44 is just absolutely and that's Trayvon Walker just absolutely clueless that Daniel Jones could have the football here because Daniel Jones did an excellent job of taking the ball out of his left hand where he uses for the play fake putting it in his right leaving that left hand open so it looks like it's empty and it is empty Um, and so 44 reads it and then he way too late to realize there that Daniel Jones has the ball and I just one thing I just love about this play watching the back end of it it's just such a demoralized defense you can see on the back end as five comes over Daniel Jones just everyone by the end of that play for the Jaguars to me Nick was just looking like they've been beaten down they had a long drive but they're just taking it to him in the run game they're not really going in full speed here to me it feels like now part of it is obviously you can't go head first toward a quarterback or whatnot but I don't know. It just felt like at the end of this play, the body language was of the demoralized Jaguars defense here from five and just everyone involved. How could you not be demoralized at this point? Like Devin Lloyd and Trayvon Walker are both number one picks, but because we reference Madden so much on this podcast, like their <laughs> inexperienced trait, their awareness trait definitely showed here because you saw the same run several times and now you're seeing a similar looking run only Daniel Jones keeps it. And both of those players who were originally to the tight end side, the side that Daniel Jones rolls out to, they're nowhere near where they're nowhere near where they need to be to stop Daniel Jones on this, on this play action. Just yep. bootleg man, naked bootleg. I absolutely love it. That was a great them after this play. Look at those four Jaguars defenders after this play. They're not, they're not yelling at each other. They're not angry. They're just demoralized. It's like, I'm not mad. It's when your dad would used to tell you, I'm not mad at you. I'm just disappointed in you. <laughs> I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. And now we see though that same front, the adjustment for the front is you just use Chris Myrick as the wing back and you motion him to kick out still, pull Josh Azuda to locate. And this play doesn't go as well as the others with Saquon Barkley, but it's the same exact play again, only with a slight adjustment. Now they go back to the play that they ran the first four plays of this drive. And it's finally played really well by Jacksonville. But at this point, the New York Giants are in field goal range. They kick the field goal, and the rest is history. Yep, and they go out of bounds. Obviously, the, the three plays on that drive, Barkley went out of bounds. He wants to have at least one or two back. That could have been a game over type of situation. He tries to there, but they rule it that he wasn't, and it's a close call. I don't really know the full rules. The announcers made it seem like ah. it should have been 
called inbounds, but you know, it is, I, it is. I, to me, it looks like he's out of bounds. Like that. Yeah, shin it does is, look like he's out of bounds. Yep. That shin isn't down until right, right now. Yeah. He's already way and out by that point. Yep. Honestly, man, that is a huge play in this game. The giants almost lost the football game because of that because mistake of, by yeah. Saquon Barkley, but he'd be the first person to be like, yo, I messed up. Like and there were two other runs on that drive where he went out of bounds too, where he could have kind of like fell forward or found a way to stay in bounds. So yeah, any it's a, plays. that was rough by Saquon yeah. and he's, I'm a smarter player than that, but I'm sure yeah. that he won't make the that week a week before that. He had the heady play where he, you know, so it's like yeah. the total opposite. So anyway, let's wrap this bad boy up. It's our longest ever. I kind of knew it was going to be. There's like 81 plays and they were all a lot of fun with some superlatives. So I'm going to go and start this bad boy off for you with your unheralded player of the game. Unheralded player of the game. I think I, I think I should go with Tyree Phillips because he stepped in. That was big, my pick too. <laughs> yeah, he stepped in on a big spot, man. You can have him too. I mean, I can come up with yeah. probably somebody else, but as as yeah. I talk, he stepped, yeah, he stepped into a he stepped into a big spot, man, and he ended up playing damn well. And I hope that he can maintain that level of play for the next com- coming weeks. I mean, luckily the Giants have a bye in two weeks because Evan Neal is going to be missed. But what I saw from Phillips, it was pretty damn impressive. My other pick was going to be Phillips. My other pick would be Chris Myrick. Stepped into a bigger role with Daniel yes. Bellinger. Ruled out. Made some really good catches. Made some really good blocks. Showed kind of, you know, he could maybe take over that role. I mean, I still want depth there. I still want them to find another Myrick type, another Bellinger type. Um, there's a guy sitting on the Cardinals uh, practice squad over there, Max Williams, right now, who I would love the Giants to take a look at. Now, I think he's injured, and he's dealing with some super bad injuries right now that have, like, infected him uh, to some level. But this is a guy who's proven he can block. So, you know what? He's kind of like the perfect Bellinger Myrick type. So we'll see, see what I, happens. I there. thought you could you could bring up another Max that's on the Cardinals right now who is familiar with the Giants and Max Garcia. Oh, Garcia, yeah. No, no. I'm not I think he's on the active line. roster, though. Yes. So we'll go there. We're unheralded player. How about the best route run that you saw on film? So there are actually several. Yeah. Good ones by Wando Robinson, but I think I have to go with the opening drive touchdown to Darius Slayton and how he released and created the separation in a one-on-one matchup. So I'm going to go there. Yeah, that was also the one I was going to pick. So uh, let me think if I can think on the spot. We're, we're two for two. I'm picking the same ones. I'm just going to go with that one because I do I do think it's fair to say that was the best route run in this game. How about the best throw? There's a lot of options, I think, for best throw from Daniel Jones. I'm going to go with the David Sills one, even though I think it could easily be the Darius Slayton one, just because there was so much that went into it from a processing standpoint that I'm going to factor that into the throw as well. So I'm going to go with it should. David Sills catch. Yeah. yeah definitely. And I think that's fair to do moving forward when we do decide best throw. It's like best everything play from the quarterback throw. And, but I'll go with the back shoulder play that we broke down earlier to Darius Slayton. I mean, to get that ball over the defenders trying to jump and tip it at the second level took a great amount, took, took, took the quarterback changing trajectory. But despite him changing trajectory, he maintained ball placement, which was perfectly, like you said, hit the lower, like lower half of that 86, right where you want it for the back shoulder type throws. And drive. He's still a drive on the football. Really good velocity on. So all three factors playing there. Change, change the arm slot. Change in trajectory. Change in uh, you know good ball placement or pinpoint ball placement, I should say. And really good drive and velocity. So that was my favorite throw of the day. How about the best play call from Kafka? Best play call. I mean, there are a lot of options, and 
I think I can go with so many different directions here, but I think I'm going to go with the play call that he used on the final drive to go up by more than a yeah. field goal, just because yeah. there it takes a lot of stones to call the same play that many times. And then it also incorporates the second and eight adjustment that he had to ensure the Giants get in the field goal ranges. That sequence of plays says a lot about your coordinator and his trust in his players to execute. And there were players out there on the play side, like Devery Hamilton and players like that who aren't, first teamers or anything like that didn't really have a lot of first team reps but stepped in and they still were able to execute and that kind of goes to the tough smart and dependable mantra that this team really preaches it's like well if big injury happens unfortunately do you have the stones to step up and execute your assignment and hamilton proved that in that role he was able to do it tyree phillips did it you could say chris myrick did a lot of players did it and it says something about the roster that joe shane is constructing right now yeah, I mean, for me, it is the play. It's the bootleg there from Daniel Jones. It's just such a perfect, like, for me, it's like, okay, you could talk about the better designs in this game. And I think a lot of the plays were, were better designed by Mike Kafka. But if I'm just talking pure play call in the moment, situational play call, to pull that out of your out of your butt right there, I don't know if ass is considered a, a curse. I just a muted, uh, I just, um, what's it called? Uh, not muted. Um, censored myself for no real reason there you can say ass like it's ass considered a curse these days <laughs> i don't know why i censored myself but to pull that out of your ass right there and then daniel jones perfectly slot you know shows the empty left hand and then keeps it it's just it looks so smooth man like everyone who texted me about the giants texted me immediately in all the group chats and the individuals like my god we got the guy we got kafka so for me it has to be that play call um overall how about the best player for you on film best player on film for me, dude, it could be three guys. I think you have to start saying there's a big three. It's not just a big two. And I might go with Daniel Jones again for the second consecutive week. I think it could have easily have been Andrew Thomas. It could have easily have been Saquon Barkley. I think Daniel Jones had a couple mistakes, but the gravity of the situation for a quarterback is much more burdensome than the other two positions. So I'm going to go with Daniel Jones because he's making the plays that this coaching staff is asking him to do, and he's playing relatively mistake-free football. Yeah, Daniel Jones was our pick both of our picks last week individually. Uh, I think that was the first time that's ever happened since we did the podcast. He's your pick this week, and he's my pick this week as well. To me, it's even more defined in this week's film than it was last week against the Ravens. I thought Barkley had less of an amazing standout game this week, personally. I mean, look, those those few plays that we broke down were unbelievable, but this was not a Barkley game plan. This was not a Barkley game. This was a throw-the-football game plan. Yeah, they leaned on the run at, at key times in the second half, which was awesome to see, but some of that was Daniel Jones as well, which, you know, flips it back to Daniel Jones. Andrew Thomas, he probably deserves to be in the con he definitely deserves to be in the conversation every time. And I mean, look, if you're, you're talking to a football purist and you're like, yeah, you know what? I should probably, you should probably pick Andrew Thomas. Like, he, cause like, I get it. Like, Andrew Thomas just tried to do a weird, like, football nerd voice. I don't know what I did there, but it was terrible and I won't do it again. I promise that. But Andrew Thomas probably played like a more, I guess what I'm trying to say, Nick, is Andrew Thomas probably played like a more perfect game than Daniel Jones, but Daniel Jones is responsible for so much more than Andrew Thomas is. He's responsible for being in complete command of the offense, and I felt like in this game, it was the most commanding, it, was like a, it felt like watching a pitcher who's in full command of his arsenal, yeah. and who's just like, you know what I mean? Like He's just like throwing the ball in the spots he wants to hit every single pitch and he's got batters that are just reeling against him and that's how I felt like with Daniel Jones in this game like he was in full command of the Giants offense more so than I've ever seen him even though he's had two good games before this that he stacked 
And in addition to that, he made some unbelievable throws. He made some unbelievable reads, the Sills read. We've talked about all these already. And some unbelievable runs and some unbelievable zone reads as well. Just so much good in command of this offense. So to me, it's actually more clear cut than it's been in any other week. And it's Daniel Jones. We talk so much throughout the season about Saquon Barkley and how he's running with so much conviction. Well, these last three games, Daniel Jones is playing the quarterback position with so much conviction. Yeah. Says a lot about his growth, says a lot about his development. And this is his first year in an offense that is considered advanced by a lot of people and veterans in the NFL. So I think that really says something right. about where Daniel Jones is. He just needs to keep doing it. <laughs> yeah. it's, the whole thing is the same thing with me and with Nick and I, it's all about, um, can you consistently do this for a large stretch, not just three games? And I'm starting to think he can, which is the exciting part, right? Because like, if he can do this for a long stretch, that changes in my mind, at least the whole long-term feeling on a player like this, because he's never going to be a Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, Patrick no. Holmes level talent, pure talent. He just simply does not have that. That's simple facts. He does not have the arm that those guys have to, to throw out of spots that those guys can throw out of. Um, and, that's just the case. But to be fair, those are really the only guys who do have that in the NFL. Like Joe Burrow, you can put in his own plane because I don't know how much of it is arm talent and how much of it is just purely awesome anticipate anticipatory throwing by him and his post snap, you know, vision of the field, uh, especially throwing down the field. But I think Daniel Jones can get to a certain level where despite the fact he never has that level of pure talent, he still can be somebody who's making the right decisions and in full command of an offense, right? Like Greg Maddox, for example, I'm pulling this back to baseball. Greg Maddox, old school pitcher. Some of you may know him, some of you may not. He never had elite stuff. He was never throwing 100 with an insane, you know, breaking slider that people just wipe out slider that had like that generated like 28 swinging strikes per game. But he did generate a lot of swinging strikes per game because he hit his spots over and over and over again with his pitches. And that's kind of what I'm seeing from Daniel Jones. He's hitting his spots over and over and over again. In baseball, they call the command with the pitcher. I'm calling a command with the quarterback, too. So we can get into that whole conversation another time. We don't need to wax too much poetic on this or whatever. It's been a long podcast already, but I will say this, man. It's exciting to see. Let's do a pass blocking grade from you. Pass blocking grade. I got to go with like a, a 9.2. Pass blocking oh, was good in this game, <laughs> no. man. It's probably the highest we've ever given on this podcast is probably the two grades we're about to give because there really weren't a lot of mishaps. I, I would have to say Josh Azudu had a couple plays that would bring it down from being a perfect 10, not to single the kid out, but he had a couple mistakes that we went over throughout the podcast. But I think a 9.2 is a strong and, and solid grade and it's a fair one. I think so too. I'm going 9.4, Nick, you know, I, Oof. there were some, I guess some individual plays like there were, there were some individual missed blocks. That's going to happen, but there were so many squeaky clean pockets in this game. There were so many pinpoint perfect pockets in this game. It's not something you're willing to you, you see a lot with the Giants. And pressure just wasn't really a factor in this game for the Giants offense in the passing game and a game where they passed more than they ever did, especially in that first half. So 9.4 to me is valid. It's probably the highest pass blocking grade I've ever set I've ever given the Giants. This is this was potentially the best pass blocking game they've ever had in my mind, at least at least since we started doing this podcast, because I wasn't really watching the tape before that. Um so I don't know. But yeah, highest grade I'm ever giving. 9.4 for me, 9.2 from Nick. So pretty good stuff there. How about we'll finish this and wrap this thing up with a run blocking grade? Run blocking. Let's go yeah. with a let's go with a 6.8. I think it was solid, but it wasn't spectacular. And some of the plays were just insane jukes and insane 
individual efforts by by Saquon Barkley, but I still think it was solid enough to definitely be better than a five or something like that. For sure. And I agree with that. I think there were some big, big flashes that bring a great up big time yeah. for me. Um, Josh, so that's the interesting part. Yeah, Zudu, Thomas even, Phillips on a few plays, some big, big flashes in the run blocking. But I think, like you said, there were, were some plays that were just really just Saquon Barkley doing things in there. And there were a lot of plays where they didn't get things going in the run game at all times. Um, and some of it was just zone read stuff, which is kind of just on the quarterback reading it right and making good decisions there. And some of those were plays where he dropped back to pass and decided to run some of our biggest runs. So I think I'll go in the 6.6 range, just kind of like in that two thirds, a little above average range. All right. Thanks to everybody tuning into the Big Blue Banter podcast. As you know, please subscribe, like on iTunes. Please subscribe, like on YouTube. Hit that smash that like button if you're watching this video still now. Help us grow this podcast. Share it with your friends. Uh, that's all we'll ever ask from you. Otherwise, stay tuned. We're going to have more content coming this week. We've got a defensive film breakdown coming tomorrow. I'm going to do another mailbag this week. We'll, we'll do a preview of the Seahawks game. We're going to still figuring out who's going to be on that, but we'll find someone for sure. And then maybe a little other content if the time permits later in the week as well. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.